What's going on guys? So this is a very, very long podcast, me and Ian have not been podcasting for a while since the last one kind of like failed to process and upload. So we went through a lot of different topics that we didn't get to do in the last one, or we did in the last one. That includes everything from like bands and chains, uh, different bars, like safety bars and how you use them within training, um, what we think will happen if we end up being out of the Olympics, the Olympic predictions for how we think the girls from Great Britain, Emily, Emily and Sarah are going to do when they go to the, when they compete in the Olympics amongst a whole bunch of other topics. So maybe put this one on if you've got like a really long drive. There's a lot of meaty topics that we jump into. So hopefully it'll be one that you enjoy to do it. Oh, shut up. <laughs> Fucking Siri. Um, yeah, so I suppose the first topic to go over be the live British and the virtual British that have kind of run back to back. Um, obviously, you didn't go to the live British. You watched like some of the results of like some lifters we had from home, both yeah. um, like some of ours from Rowan and then like friends, but, you know, over like Mehmet's lot. What did you think of the way that it was run? From what you saw of it, anyway. I think right to to, to be diplomatic first. Congratulations, Britain weight, British weightlifting. You ran a, with with the clusterfuck of everything that was going on. Hats off to you because that was not an easy fucking scenario and the kickback of a lot of people's opinions and how a lot of people felt about it. Um, overall, the results came through and it, and the controversy was aired slightly after. I, I think I believe, so I don't know if many people, hopefully people listening understand, a lot of people kicked off because there was an, an in-person competition and a lot, a, lot, a lot of people weren't invited. And then all of a sudden we're running two British championships, we're running the live and we're running the virtual British. I mean, to put a sort of nail in it, to move on from that perspective, what I heard later on, I think you can confirm if this is right or wrong, from a legality perspective for Commonwealth qualification, the competition had to be called the British Championship. Otherwise, it wasn't deemed to be the qualification competition it was meant to be. So Yeah, so from my understanding, because there's, it's, it's a very strange process, so what most countries are doing, what BWL have tried to do, and at least from my understanding, is that they're trying to give... Commonwealth athletes and elite athletes as many chances as possible to qualify for things. So <clears throat> if you have an official British, it's a British championships and not just like, you know, like Kazakhstan call that like, they have stuff like called the Friendship Cup or Russia have a President's Cup and stuff. <clears throat> Instead of having that, then having to do it to let's say like a tier one standard where it's an actual international event, you can do the British and it's a national and it's a tier two event, I think. And then it can run as normal. So that's what they want to we're trying to run. And I think from a COVID standpoint, if this was if this was last year, so this was in like December last year, I would completely understand why they did what they did in terms of we're only going to invite people who signed that form. We're only going to invite people who are probably going to be able to go to the Commonwealth squad. <coughs> we're only going to invite people, <coughs> excuse me, who've let's say done the British virtual or who have shown themselves to be of this standard before. So someone who would be a key example would be Jack Oliver. He hasn't yeah. actually done virtual. He hasn't actually really done many competitions. The only virtuals he did was the English virtual I think, if I remember correctly, and then like before that, I, I, I can't remember. I think it's been years yeah, since he, done he, he. The last thing he'd done was the Europeans. Yeah. So for me, it was the other question of if I didn't do the best total at the English virtual, I would have to dig back and use one of my totals from eighty nine and ninety four. But that was doable, and this is one of the issues people didn't realise that because they're trying to qualify the best people for the Commonwealth Games, it wasn't necessarily done in a fair fashion. Of were you the best this year? What form are you in this year? Because it's a bit fucky. Because some people have kits, some people don't. Some people do really well virtually, some don't. So they were trying to use, they're basically casting net wide for the people who, but only for the people who had applied to that form, which kind of makes sense. But the issue for me was, and the issue that I tried to explain to people who were elite and didn't like the way that basically the, the rest of BWL reactors, the rest of the members who pay and just take part more for fun and maybe aren't at that elite level yet, 
and also vice versa the other way around is a case of if you're part of the process and you know how the international competitions and the applications for it works you're not really going to be surprised you have to dig through a lot of information you have to read you have to really read into it you might have to ring Stuart you might have to ring Ashley or whoever but then my issue with the whole thing was it's a case of I am really lucky that I get to talk to Stuart quite regularly well I say regularly like as in maybe like once, like once a month or something maybe so if I need to ask a question I can just ask him Stu what what the fuck does this mean because I don't understand whereas not everyone else is going to have that luxury so I think it's just a case of the information was not very easy to grab and when yeah. you're looking at it as a company standpoint, like if we are trying to fill up, let's say, our weightlifting spots and we're getting really upset that no one wants to do our weightlifting competitions, um, but no one knows about the product because we don't advertise, we don't tell people how to sign up, we don't tell them how much it costs or anything, then that's our fault. So one of the things was the information should have been put out better. That's been the issue for years, though. Like in terms of the way that the competition ran, <clears throat> um, they ran two platforms. Everything, if you were worried about the COVID procedures, the platforms, the platforms were quite spaced out. They washed the bar down and dried it every single time. Um, they had a good, good crew of loaders. They did the best they could with having to like kind of flip back and forth between blue to red, blue to red platform. Um, and they did the best they could. And I think there's a yeah, lot. I mean, of that, that's off. Obviously, we, we, well, I, I know, I know better than you, but Stu King and the uh, the PTI boys that came down and did all the loading and packing up, putting away everything like that. Absolute hats off to those boys from the military for stepping up and doing that in a, in a short space of time and doing those bits. But yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad the competition ran well. Like. That whilst you were there, which is the main thing I was concerned about, because obviously, normally you'd be in a scenario where if we are taking a lift of through, there'd be you, me, and potentially one more person as a coaching team dealing with all that. So to try and deal with multiple lifters on your own is, is that's a that's a hell of a task to actually do, mate. So it's um it was good. But from watching it, I just obviously it's one of these things we've we've had the virtual sorry, we've had virtual links before to the championships. I think when the one that we both committed competed at the last live one in 2019 I believe there was commentary and stuff obviously that was always going to be hard because of the COVID restrictions but the links themselves work well um could have done with a bit more information I think I think like at times it was literally just whatever was going on you didn't really know it wouldn't have took much to potentially throw up a board with it I'm sure there's a there's a tech there's a tech guy or girl somewhere with Impola that can yeah at least split screen something for both platforms so you know yeah. what people are coming out to and yeah. stuff like that and, but. Uh, and I think the main thing about it is it's just that it was a case of I know that BWL were worried because they maybe hadn't been able to get as much money for one of these events as they normally would so it's almost run with like the bare skeleton of what do we need to make sure this event runs as an actual lifting event so from that standpoint I think it was it, it was never going to be perfect like if you made it into the big event that it should have been, in my opinion, because I'm not going to be as worried about isolation, COVID and all that stuff as other people are, then what you're actually going to be looking at would maybe be, oh, I'm just going to adjust this a little bit, would maybe be, um, so something such as, what would be the best example be? So you end up having top 10, up to the top 10, but you make sure the Commonwealth fills up first. Each home nations only has a certain amount of slots. You do top 12, let's say top 12, fuck it, top 12, because it's been quite a long time. You're trying to fit in Commonwealth applicants who might not hit the total, who might also hit the total, as well as everyone else who's supposed to be there to heighten the competition. You have top 12 plus two coaches, and let's say each person's allowed to be in one spectator. And that's it. And you have to have a negative test if you want to come to it. And you just take a lateral flow at the door. You take a lateral flow right before you get in there. You bring your own then if you advertise that in good time, that would have been fine. When there's going to be the arguments of, well, that's too many people. But what if some people don't want to do the negative test? What if some of the negative tests are wrong and they're not actually negative tests? What if someone's worrying about, do you know what I mean? So there's always going to be that backlash where they're trying to be safe, which I understand. And I think maybe they're going to the standpoint of, we'd rather do it smaller and be as safe as possible, save as much money as possible, 
and then receive the flack from some people being like, I don't understand why I wasn't involved. I, there's loads of people who should have been here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Loads of people in the, let's say like, let's let's say one of the lifters, just one, even just one, got a really, really bad case of COVID and ended up being laid up for like a month or two months. And then that derails their training cycle going towards Commonwealth Games, as an example. That would be where I think either way, you're going to have a damper that could possibly be put on the event. So I think they've chosen the safer, more bo- almost like the, bo- the being boring option as yeah. opposed to... The other one, which I think is, right, they've done it. They've done it right overall. When I look back in hindsight to it, and 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 what I've heard from people that went to lift it and stuff like that, it, it was the best of a shit show. Do you know what I mean? At the end of the day, no matter what Baller would have done, no, not everyone's going to be happy. Oh no! Oh, so, so it's like it's one of these things. It's almost it's almost like they've um, it was going to be a clusterfuck no matter what. Some people are going to be pissed off because they weren't there. Some people were going to be pissed off because of this, that, the other. You're not you're not going to please everyone, but it, what what it could have been a lot worse, but they got it done. They got the job done. They got everyone got the totals in. They needed to get their totals in, um, and the people who got the experience needed before they start going off to other things like the Olympics for some of the girls who lifted and people like Stefano getting an opportunity to go onto a big stage and lift as a junior lifter. They're all these all there's a lot a lot of positives. So overall, from the live British, things could have been held handled better. Mm. But in the long in the long term of things, it wasn't that bad overall. So hats off to them to de- dealing with a situation that could have been a lot, lot fucking worse from my perspective. It could have it could have easily fell apart at the seams. Yeah, I really agree. And I think we saw as well, there was a few people who obviously there was a few things, I'm not going to mention anyone like by name, so I'm not trying to pick on anyone, but there were a few cases of some people forgot the rules. So as in like they got there and some were a combination of someone hadn't been to a live British before. And then they ended up kind of fucking stuff up a little bit, whether it was your attempt selection or doing something weird with the bar. And then some people almost forgot that you're not just going to warm up and do your lifts because people can jump ahead of you. And you saw, like, I think some people really rose the occasion because they were like, I remember listening to um, uh, the Welsh lad from Willpower, Jordan Sackass, where he was he just said, like, I felt like I didn't, I wasn't a good weightlifter anymore until I came to an in-person competition. And now I feel like, oh, no, this is, I am supposed to be doing this sport because he gets to be back around people. Whereas some other people, you saw them, compete against people for the first time and like they not underperformed or did badly but they didn't perform as well as they had in the gym on the gram do you know what i mean this this is what people don't realize and it's um i think moving forward for competitions especially for the british if they if it's something that they can do for the next let's let's say hopefully touch wood next year everything's back to normal or as close to normality as possible people don't understand the shit shits and games and the fucking stupidness that goes on in the back room yeah. Like people really don't understand anything like that. And if you've not been around it and that's your first experience, it will absolutely just knock you for 10. If you're not sitting there, if you know you've, if you've not got someone there watching a clock, understanding what's going on, your count attempts and stuff like that, mate, I've, I've, I shouldn't have done it really back in the day at a lower, but I screwed over Sarah Hearn like so easily because she weren't paying attention to the clock. Mm. And like my lifter was out there to beat her. And it's like, right, well, you're paying absolutely no attention to what's going on here. Mike's over in the corner, not paying any attention. I'm just going to quietly go in and do that. Oh, Sarah, you're up. She's like, oh, what fuck? And then she, she she did what she usually does, like had a little bit of a panic attack and missed two lifts and managed to make a third. But Farah got her at the end of the day. So it's, it's one of these things, if you're not used to that and you've not got the right people around you, it can be terrifying, let alone at a British, but like even at just a, a local meet. So, but that's, that's good though. So from my perspective, um, the virtuals i'm hoping that's it now mate <laughs> yeah i i think that yeah i think that with the virtuals it's a case of it could be fun to do some virtual competition stuff but not an official three lift snatching ninja competitions like some of them used to do like um 
oh, what was it? They used to do power events. So it'd be like broad jump, power clean, different lifts and stuff like that. Or that kind of stuff I can kind of understand if someone doesn't necessarily want to compete in person yet, or it's people from outside of weightlifting who want to do something. But yeah. really, I really, I, I hope so as well. I hope it's the last virtual competition that we have to do because they're not the same. It's very difficult, especially now it's not as bad because you can get a bunch of your mates and get in the same room and do it together. Mm. But it's still very false. Or at least that's what I think. So anyway, yeah, it doesn't re- it doesn't represent the competition correctly. I mean, to touch on what you said there about like the we spoke about it before, like the cloak off power weekend stuff. I think something like that. With if British weightlifting were to throw some random challenges out once a month, that'd be sick. Like just random like hang snatch, you know what I mean, or deficit, or just just some, some silly little things that you can. Number one, very cheap to enter, cost you a tenner or something stupid like that to enter it in. And then it's like that builds up more money in the coffers for British weightlifting, and it just adds an adds an element of fun and competition to everyone's training. So that moving forward, I think it'd be great. But like I say, hopefully the virtual comps are done. But I think I did four in total, three or four. Um, I didn't like it at all personally. <laughs> it's to me, it took the fun bit out of the lifting. Like I'm very happy I'm getting near the end of my stage of competing now, but. I missed the banter, the stupidness, the silliness, the shit that goes on in the back room, the other bits and pieces. Like it's just, it, it just weirdly felt like a max out. It didn't feel like a competition to me. So yeah. I don't know how, how the people that the people listening felt about it. But for me, I've been in a game for the better part of a decade now. It was, it was nothing like, even though we like, we, we're really good at putting enough people in a room together to create an atmosphere. And I can't thank the guys enough that were there for our lifters and for myself and stuff like that. Yeah. Sunday was just, that was a ridiculous afternoon of lifting. But it just, it felt like a Ronin Max out that we recorded specially. Yeah, which I think is the benefit of doing the virtual stuff. But then I think like, you saw it when, I think well, I personally saw it anyway with the, not necessarily, not necessarily Leslie's group when we were coaching that one. What was our group? I think it was 64s and 71s were together. Yeah, exactly. where it was a case of she ends up training alone like anyway because of work. So when we got into there, it was a case of well, you're just warming up by yourself, and I'm just going to watch the clock. Whereas looking at the boys like where it was like um like Omar lifting against lifting against um Sakas and with well, who's the super Andy Griffiths and stuff like that, where they all pretended to open on a certain weight, then everyone jumped up, and it's almost like Omar was like he said he was shocked because it's almost like he forgot a little bit about the board yeah. jump, like because you you just don't remember it, and I think it's the same thing like. Yes, it's great to have your team there spurring on your maxing out, but it does feel different having your team spurring on a maxing out when you're training with them and when they're just going to be out there yelling at you when you get on the platform. But until then, you've got a bit more of a hostile environment in the back room, depending on what weight class you're in. Like with, because with those 109s and the 102s, they're all very close together in terms of load. So I don't think any of them open below 140 on snatch. None of them open below 180 on clean and jerk. So when you've got three or four guys who are doing that, it is, it's quite, it's quite a lot. Like in yeah. terms of trying to decide on who's going to go first, like who's going to beat who. Whereas let's say, like a prime example would be when I first got into weightlifting, and I think it was like me, Ramsey, who were fairly close together. Then there's Cyril. Cyril is not worried about me and Ramsey. He was asleep until I finished warming up for snatches. Do you know what I mean? So I think it's going to be different for different people. Like for some people, it's not going to make any difference when they if they're in a virtual or out of it because the stress isn't on them because maybe they're so far ahead or quite far below the big battle. Whereas when it's a case of you're going to go back in, you're going into the thick of it and then having to actually strategize and pull it out a little bit against people i think it's a little bit different i think some people responded to it really well um which is really good to see and i think some people didn't respond to it so well and acknowledge they needed to get used to it which is also another which is also a good thing in itself 
Yeah, I mean, we had we some we had some outstanding performances from a load of different people. Like, I mean, from my lot, I have to, I have to I have to dock my cap to Alistair. Like, he just blew everything out of the water and like walked away with ridiculous PBs left, right, and centre. But got funny enough, got turned down for his last for his two cleaning jerks. So I've got to go back and look at those videos to see what, what they saw that I didn't. But he just thrived in that that environment and just went off like that. And then some of the girls that were lifting, you had what you had Tash on one platform, Emma, Emma on the other platform, wasn't it? Yeah, pretty sure that was. You had Tash on the main platform. You had Emma uh, Plymouth Emma on the on the other one, and it was it was great to see them just sort of almost go lift for lift, really. So they did. They managed to find the level of competition between them and sort of try and fire themselves up and push themselves forward. So it was um, some absolute solid lifting. And then hats off to the most like, what's what, what's the right way of putting this? Zoned out in the zone. Do not talk to me, Chris Campbell. I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. Like she just went into an absolute zone that day, and it was it was a, it was an awesome thing to see her just just kill it. And then she's she's won the uh, the Masters in her weight class. Yeah. So she's she's just she's gonna kill it and she's gonna cut the silly thing is she'll go back into the seniors and kill it as well, which is even which is even scarier. So but yeah, so that's that I like I say, hopefully that's the end of it, unless it's some fun events. But it served its purpose. I think it done well out of a like I say British weightlifter could have just gone, fuck it, we're gonna do nothing. Do you know what I mean? They could have like they could have easily turned around at the beginning and go, look, we're just gonna concentrate on the Commonwealth athletes, we're not gonna worry about you lot, but hats off to them for stepping up and actually coming up with these ideas and pushing them through and putting through the the, the process to actually get it all done and dusted. So well done to them. But hopefully yeah. that's it. Yeah, well, yeah, well, you look at it and it's kind of like so Samoa have just pulled all their athletes out. Like we could have had that, or we could have had it where it's um I know it's not exactly the same, the premise is the same support, like um England sevens just pulled funding for their athletes and said, you got to go take care of yourself until this time and then come back on this date. Like they could have done that. And to a degree, I think support from BWLs never been like massive in terms of loads of readable content, loads of interactive stuff. Like you might see some American places like Cal strength as, as an example, well, it's not really a great example because that's not an NGB, but you get what I mean in terms of having lots of stuff you can interact with online, but they've never really had to do that because the lifting and the clubs have kind of done that for themselves. Like the content for each member is done by its club. So I think going from basically it kind of not runs itself, but you almost macro managing and just making sure that clubs kind of have what they need. People are signing up for memberships and competing in the sport where it's basically just herding the sheep into the field you need them in. And then all of a sudden now you have to micromanage everything because everyone doesn't have anything to do and you've got to deal with every single complaint. I can understand it's quite difficult. And with, I know that, and I don't know if it's like well-known, but there's like obviously different staffing changes happening, which you can see from all the jobs that are going up from uh, that you can apply for. So with that happening, you can kind of see it's like, well, there's obviously a lot of change happening. And I think a lot of that, from what I've heard, changes happening should be good. Like it's going in the right direction. It's just when you've got an old way of doing things in a new way, it's almost like when you're transferring over, you get stuck in the middle and it's not as good as either. So it gets a little bit shitty and then it kind of picks up. So I'm hoping that in the next year or so, especially after Commonwealth Games is over, because that will kind of be the time when the focus will maybe be back on everyone, not just let's, we need to get these lifters to, to the games. Then I think it will start to get a lot better. At least I hope it will, it will start to be a lot better. Oh, it will. It will at the end of the day. But like I said, the credit where credit's due, British weightlifting. So that's just, and it's like you say, with the, the the jobs and bits and pieces that even I've seen pop up, it's like, oh, okay. Like you, you're hoping like there's a bit of reform and a bit of logic coming through. And I think just some modernization of the whole process is what's needed. So, um, but obviously, the last sort of part on the, the, the comp side of things, like we touched on, was. Um, the return of in-person competition. 
and the clusterfuck that this could cause or not. So I know yeah. I'm going to Plymouth on the 7th of August to uh, coach and compete. Yeah. Well, I, I don't think there's any more. I think there's, there's a few. So there's Oldbury, Telford, that one. We're going to hopefully be running an event towards the end of September, which is going to be, hopefully, if everything stays the way it fucking is. I don't need anything to open any further. I just want stuff to stay the way it is. And then we're going to be running a lifting league and this will be kind of a first, not really official announcement. We're going to be running a London lifting league, which is going to have some nice prizes from some very, very swift sponsors. And yeah. like that. But I think all that kind of stuff, like not just what we're running, which is hopefully going to be something that everyone in London, and if you want to enter a team from outside of London can enter, but just in general, I think it's all going to depend on how do people, people feel about opening up? Do we lock down again? I don't think so. At least not the way we have before. And then what criteria is put on all these different events? So the main thing for me would be like, are you going to have this weird middle ground where there's competitions on, but people aren't really going to them because of stuff like the vaccination passport, which I don't think is going to go through either because it's already been shot down in, in Commons. So it's like that whole thing where you're now, everything's open and we've had Freedom Day, which I think is a stupid thing to call it. Like That was that was when I saw that, I'm like, I was just like, for fuck's sake. It's like, like there's nothing it's free already, It's already a really pompous thing to call it. Do you know what I mean? Isn't it? It's suggesting that you were going to give people their freedoms back, like you had the rights to take them anyway. And then when you then said, oh, we're also going to introduce something that is going to massively violate them. I thought that was yeah. ironic. And I'd laugh if it was, wasn't, if it was on Black Mirror and not happening in real life. Yeah, yeah exactly. But, um, I think it all depends on stuff like that. Like if that stuff doesn't happen, so it's a case of competitions can go back to normal, and people are allowed to make decisions of, do you want to wear a mask or not? Do you feel, are you vulnerable or not? Can you go to the competition or not? I think after the first, the first three or four club comps in each sector, region, in yeah. each region, and then the first nationals that is unrestricted, when it will be, people just won't care. I say people won't care. People are just going to take it in their stride and go about it. There's not going to be this emptiness of people thinking, oh, is it going to be like it was before? Oh, there's going to be too much cleaning in the bar. Am I going to get covered from the event? Is everyone going to stand there with masks on? It's going to be a shit vibe. Do you know what I mean? Like, I think it will just be, it will slide back into, into normal. I mean, you can even see it in like the Olympic Village. Like when you look at the American training hall that they've got, they've literally set, obviously told people you've got to wear masks. And in the, in the British side of things, or at least... I imagine they might be wearing them all the time, but probably just for photos. They wear a mask when they're training. In the American side, the photographer has one on because he's not training. Everyone else isn't wearing one. Yeah, but unless you're seeing something different to me, the Americans are all, they're doing it. They've been very fucking clever. Hats off to Phil. um, Yeah. Another, uh, someone from Essex, the the CEO of uh, American Weightlifting. They're running the, the, the training camp out of Hawaii. And yeah. then flying people over to America for a very short stay and then out again. So they've done that. I think they did that with the Worlds a little while yeah. ago or something like that, where they were they were based in Germany or something like that. And I think wherever it was after that, they flew, but they flew in from there. No, sorry, it was Japan. It was in Tokyo yeah. somewhere. Then they flew over to whoever had Worlds last year. had Worlds. Uh, it was Korea. Oh. No, not Korea. Who was it? Thailand. Yeah, that was it. Uh, yeah. So... My understanding is that, like, Jordan, is it Dela Cruz? Yeah. The little 48 or whatever it is. She's yeah, gone over yeah, now. Is Jordan. Yeah, she's gone over now because she's competing quite early doors. And then the rest of them will follow suit further down the line. So, but that's clever. But, yeah, but it's, um, I think if we bring it back down to sort of like a, a local level and what, what I'm thinking is that I'm hoping, because obviously Crystal Palace held an in-person competition this past weekend, I think it was. Correct me if I'm wrong, but again, yeah. it was one of these ones where they did it on the individual platform. Yeah, which is the thing that I thought was quite clever, but also the fact that they did it that way and it's still allowed to be a sanctioned comp 
I agree with because you've if you just look at it, you can't look at it as this virtual is in person. They've almost done this weird sliding scale of we're going to run it as if it's a virtual. So you're just on your separate bar, but you have to be judged by a lift by someone in the room. And we're just going to go around the room like round robin that I kind of get because, OK, the time is going to be relatively similar. You're still going to warm up. You still got to announce your attempts, but it's COVID safe. Quote yeah. unquote, you know what I mean? So I think that was good. But at the same time, it's also like, but we can have competitions already. Yeah, I don't, I don't quite understand. I don't, know if it's because, I don't know if it's because they're doing it before Monday. That's why they had to do it that way. But yeah, might have been that. But I'm hoping, obviously, we, we people will know uh, the the girl that's running uh, the Plymouth Open, Emma. She's one of our lifters, and um, I hope I'm going to get kind of a good chat with her in a couple of days or so, something like that, just to see like how they're going if they're just going to run it as normal. Is there going to be anything particularly that they're going to put through? Because it's obviously. We've got our own lifters going. It'd be good to get a heads up and understand exactly what's going on. But um, I'm hoping that it falls into a category of people just being... I hate to do this now because I've lost faith in so many people. Common sense. So if you're lifting and competing and it's hard to wear a mask, don't wear a mask. But if your coach is there, perhaps wear a mask. Like, do you know what I mean? If it's, It's just like if you're there watching and you're around a group of people and you don't feel comfortable, wear a mask. I don't think anyone's going to kick off or moan at you and stuff like that because yeah. it, is, it, is, it is now fundamentally your choice and make the yeah. make the right choice. And it, yeah, there's a, lot, there's a lot of things to go into this, I think. It's kind of a case of, like, I've had a debate with him. Like, I, sh- I shared you, and he kind of amended this a little bit because he felt he didn't write it properly, but he put up a post just kind of saying, like, you know, you can't, you can't be for... You can't kind of be like, you know, like pro-choice and, you know, like for anti-discrimination and trying to be inclusive and trying to be anti-racist and all these different things that are really good. But then when it comes to things like, you know, going to events where people might not have been vaccinated, people aren't wearing masks, you can't then choose to be massively discriminatory and peer pressuring them because you don't know why they might not be doing or doing something that you're not. Yeah. And I feel like it's that case of people are kind of forgetting that. And it is like, it is literally your choice. And I think it's a weird thing within England where I don't know if it's been like this for a while or or if and lockdowns just made it worse, like it's made it more apparent or if it's a recent thing because of lockdowns where people are now death, deathly scared of other people affecting what's happening to them. So people are being selfish, but they're expecting you to be selfless for them. So prime example was um, I had a discussion with someone where they didn't understand why I had reshared something where so, where someone had said, here's some reasons why someone might want might not want to take a vaccine. And also you pressuring them to make a medical decision isn't right. And they had to go at me saying, oh, yeah, but, you know, their decision is going to affect me. Their decision might put me in danger. But it's like, yeah, but I don't understand when it became their their like their responsibility to protect you. Like, they're not trying to fuck you over. Like, you look at the risks of, like, death and all that kind of stuff. If you get vaccinated and wear a mask somewhere, then I really don't understand. Unless you're already immunocompromised, I don't understand why you're taking massive issue with someone not having it, especially when we're to a point now where I think we're not quite a herd immunity yet, but we have enough of the vulnerable populations vaccinated where you would would see very few deaths. Do you know what I mean? So it's just that that whole thing. I think that... You're you're absolutely on point with that. You're on point with that. And I think competitions in sport, I don't think people who do weightlifting or any sport who are trying to do it to a progressively higher level and better themselves are going to be the same as normal people where, you know, you'll get someone who smokes two packs of fucking cigarettes a day and drinks and then gets a vaccine and then tries to preach to their mate down the street who takes care of themselves and exercises that they're being selfish for not doing something. Do you know what I mean? Like, I don't think most people who do weightlifting and do very fitness centric sports and activities are going to be like that. But I just hope that I hope that after a few competitions, people can just get used to it again, because I think that's going to be the initial thing. People are going to project their worries onto other people until they actually get into the setting. And then they're going to be like, oh, actually, this isn't that bad. This is fine. And I, I'm just I, 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 moment to come sooner rather than later. 
it's one of these things like for me, I was, I was talking to someone the other day about it, about like, oh, are you not going to wear your mask? I'm like, nope, still going to wear it. I, just, I don't have any issues with it at the moment, fundamentally for me. It's like, I might, me not wearing a mask on the bus to uh, to drag myself into London to coach with an old, with, with a couple of OAPs around me might be terrified of me walking around with no mask on. So they're going to get worried. So I'm like, well, for the sake of wearing one for for 10 minutes, it's not that big of a deal for me. Do you know what I mean? And it's just little things like that. I don't I don't mind. At the end of the day, till this thing is completely at a point of, like you say, herd immunity and stuff like that, I'll wear a mask. It doesn't like it's not it's it's not that much of an issue. So but I think we'll we'll get people in comp like that where I think you'll see half the people in there wearing them, half the people not. And I, it's, it's one of these things I think I like to say, I think weightlifting is a good enough sport and a clever enough people to people for it not to be a problem and no one's really kick off. So but like I said, I'm very much looking forward to Plymouth and then us getting competitions back in London, which are normal and stuff like that, because it's um, it's going to bring back that fun element again to the sport. And to get to see some other people as well, do you know what I mean? It's like, it's been that long since we've been, like, I could always guarantee that, like, before we started working together, that I'd see you at, like, five comps a year. Do you know what I mean? So it's like, there's a lot of people we've not yeah. been able to catch up with for such a long time now. Yeah. Yeah, which I think is... Yeah, and I think I think that's a good point. If you case, you know, you see a lot. It's the same, well, it's the same with most sports when you work in a sport that is less of a teams versus teams, more of like a circuit fashion type thing. So I imagine like tennis, badminton, like even like stuff like um, what was it? One of the lads used to do super bike racing, or like you know Formula One and like go kart racing. Like you're on a circuit where you get to see people regularly. Yeah, like the sevens is very similar. You get to see you get to see people regularly, so you know you're going to see someone at least for one or two of the legs per year when you do a tournament when yeah. you do a tournament series. So I think it's the same. I think there are a lot of people where people will get to a competition and go, oh, wow, I haven't seen that person in two years. Oh, wow, I haven't seen that person in so long. Like, even some of the referees or the officials who help the competitions who are nice that you don't actually know the names of. So I bet you a lot of people will, you showed them a photo of some of the match, some of the match officials, the um, BWL officials who are at every competition helping. They recognise them, they like them, but they wouldn't be able to say what their names are. So even- I can't wait to see David Mannion. Yeah. Like, yeah. I, I, I genuinely miss his, his 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 way of doing things and like is he the guy he went to the Masters champs and just screamed the entire time? Yeah, okay, I thought it was. Love him. But he's, 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 he's the nicest guy in the world. Like he's the most supportive. Like a very very established lifter in his day. Um, a, a great judge when he's when he's judging, and he's just a, the nicest guy. Whenever you're doing stuff at anything, like even like from a Masters level to a senior level that he's there and, and the same with him and Caroline all those guys and girls who do stuff like that so it's going to be it's, hopefully it's going to be nice to start seeing some of these guys again and catching up and yeah. um, things like things like that hopefully touch wood so but yeah but it's um, like I said I just hope it's just back to full normal competition no multiple platforms anything like that I just, I just, I just like mm-hmm. the normality back really and then yeah. hopefully we, we've got quite a team going down to Plymouth when you think about it, you've got a lot of um, the guys from uh, Thingy's gym, Adam's gym. Handful oh, um, Nova Nova Barbell Club. So yeah. Adam Smith's gym. Thick Astley on Instagram. If That's you're looking cool. for. It. So you got. I've got him. I've got a load of his guys there going. Uh, a couple yeah. of the one of my lifters, my own personal lifters, and obviously a load of rolling boys that are lifting. Yeah, I, feel, I think I'm coming down with you to that one because if you coach and lift on the same day, you're going to be in the absolute bin. Yeah. After that. Absolutely, mate. That's, Plus, if you don't, if you're not there, you're not going to make me do 140, 160. Well, exactly. Also, before we move on, I've just remembered something that David Mannion reminded me of. It's another master from America called Brian, the living legend dresser. Do you yes. know? Yes, I've yeah. seen the Instagram clips. Just an absolute yeah. legend. Have you seen the full one where, like, literally, so 
this this won't make sense to most people because I'll, I'll probably try and put a link in like the Spotify description or something. But Brian, the living legend, Dresher is he's at like the New York Empire State Games, and I'm pretty sure it's like a Masters comp. But yeah. every attempt he does, he takes like an ammonia cap just out of somewhere. One's out of his out of the legging of a singlet. One's out of his sock. One's out of his shoe. Takes it, lobs it into the crowd, like the ammonia cap into the crowd. Runs up to the bar and just screams like incessantly, like he screams like a donkey. Hits a lift where his lockout is just so questionable because I think his elbows are bad. And then um, what was one of the quotes he says? He's like, um, I'm the, I'm a living legend. Take a look. I was um, and what was the one? It's like, it, was always, um, it was always something like that as he's as he's standing the lift up and before he gets given the down signal or something like that. But yeah, he's 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 like the, the Mannion's like the British the British version of him, but just a little bit more British. He'll yeah. just scream and then he'll put the bar down. Then he'll say sorry. <laughs> yeah, he kind of does that thing. You know when you just kind of like tip your head down and you just kind of wave. You know, like when someone lets you cross the road. Yeah, that's like, Mannion. Pass down and you do the little like nervous like hand wave at them. He doesn't he <laughs> does that. <laughs> But what got me with David though, mate, was like I'd be warming up like someone who's lifting in the same class as him, one of some of my other masters lifters. You won't hear a peep, nothing. But it's when he gets on the platform, and that's when it all comes out. You're like, you'd think it'd be like something you're doing training all the time. Apparently not. Just when he's on the platform. Yeah, but it's brilliant. I just, I, I love it. I absolutely love it. So, um, right, what's the next subject we're looking at then? Let me have a Olympic, look. Olympic predictions. So I think I was going to say because. So many different changes that I didn't realize had happened because I there was like some stuff like I didn't realize for ages that Deng Wei just wasn't going. As an example, um, Chan Chow is obviously retired and he keeps on posting really sad stuff like sad photos of him, okay. and it just makes me it actually makes me genuinely sad for the bloke. But I think like the main ones that we should probably do are going to be the actual Olympic predictions for the British lifters who are going who actually have really good chances. So I think before I think when's the last attendance we would have had that would have been high for the Olympics would have been 2012 where you get an entry in every weight class because you're the home nation. And obviously some of the boys did well for them, but we weren't anywhere near medals for a lot of the guys. Whereas this is a case of like Sarah Davies, I think if she, if she does well enough, then she's going to get a medal. I think she's um, in for a shoe in because obviously to- I, I can never pronounce the girl's name. Time is out. That's the one. Um, Toblerone as I like to call her now. Um, she's out because of obviously Romania got a slap wrists for using beads. Mm. Um, so that lowers it down, and obviously she came second to her at the Europeans. What? Who are the um, Asian-based lift, lifters in her category? I'm pretty sure. Oh, I can't remember their names. What's the weightlifter's name? What's the Chinese lifter's name? I can't remember. I'm going to get it. I'm, I'm going to get it up now, so we can have a look at it. But then I think I've got a saved listing somewhere. But fundamentally, for Sarah, she's she's in a really good position now, where her ranking is quite high within that group. I've got the, where is it? I did it save the other day. So Sarah's in with a shoe in without, without a shadow of a doubt. There we go. Uh, hmm. Women. Was it 60? 64. 64. Bear with me one moment. My phone's taken forever. So, yeah, so obviously you've got the Chinese Taipei lifter. She's not lifting, is she? No. Oh, wait. What? Um, Kyo Song Shan? I yeah, thought she, she was lifting. Is she not? She is or she's not? I'm pretty sure she is. It's so hard at the minute as well because there's been so many little updates and other bits and pieces where other countries like Colombia or this all of a sudden lost a load of their lifters and stuff like that. But as it sits at the moment, Sarah's deemed would be deemed as the top European lifter by by quite a while, quite a way. So 
if she if she depending on how everyone else goes she's in for a shoe and i'd say probably for a bronze medal um and depending on obviously her just bringing the heat on the day and i I think i think she's hats off to her and cyril the way that they've slowly built her up over the last couple of years especially where she had gone from not really having much of a, a home base or a coach where mm. Cyril, where Cyril stepped in, what let's say what about two and a half years ago now? I say, yeah, it might it might not even be that. It might be a little bit less. So like the what he's managed to do and get the best out of her, absolute hats off. And obviously having the capability to train with Emily as well at the same time, they've they've built themselves this this good little rapport with each other. And from what I hear, what Stu's told me in the past as well, like. They train so well together when they train together, and the, the the atmosphere they bring to both to the sessions is ridiculous. So, as I say, one of my one of my he's, he's not he's been coached by Cyril now, but one of my ex lifters is a Atlas member. So, mm. it's 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 good to hear from that end. But like I say, it's the lifting gods have got to come on our side, and I reckon have a few shit performances or under under level performances from some of the other lifters. But she's very much in the shoe in for a, a, a bronze or a silver. Yeah, I think, I think a bronze is going to be quite realistic. I've just found the actual start list. So it's stripped back quite a bit. So I think there's actually, mate, there's no Chinese lifters in at all. Yeah, I didn't think there was. There's people from Taipei, there's like some girls from Taipei, but it's not, it's not, yeah, you're right. It's not Kuo Sun, Kuo Sun Shun. I'm, I really hope I'm saying her name right. I get it wrong every time. Um, yeah, I'm attempt it. <laughs> I struggle yeah, with my own name. But yeah, like I say, it's, it's, there's a medal there for her if she can pull it out of the bag. And obviously, if there's no one coming out of the woodwork that we're not aware of, that has just been holding back a little bit. So yeah, I think like the main thing is obviously she it's it's, it's opened up, and I think her main her main competition would be a lot more uh, Sharon from Canada. But like just as a reference, like Ribbon Sim and Deng Wei are both missing. So those are the top two athletes, and they're just not there. Yeah, which makes it really interesting because it kind of opens it up. Because I think like when Sarah Sarah's probably going to now be competing mostly against. I imagine Kiana Rose Elliott from Australia. Maud Sharon. Sharon Maud. I don't know. They've, I think they've mixed their name around the wrong way here. And then um, one of the Dahomey sisters, but I can't remember which one it is. Yeah. I think that's going to be the main competition. That's going to be, you know, that for the second and third spot, which should be quite interesting. Yeah, that's, yeah gonna, that's going to be an, an absolute banger from my perspective. But, yeah. um, Zoe, um, I think that's... If, if and I, I say this with all the respect in the world, if, if top on form switched on Zoe turns up, she could pull something out of the bag. Yeah, and I think it's just a case of if she's managed to put it on, because I know at Worlds, and again, not to, not like we're not speaking bad about her or anything, but like she looked more stressed than I've something ever. Like, something yeah, went right. Yeah, like most of the time you see her walk out of competition, even the competition where she did her shoulder, you, it, it just didn't look like anything was really going to flap her. Whereas on this, on this one, I think that, I personally, I, I think it's just a case of it's been a hard, it's been a hard time over the last year through like lockdowns and stuff. And I imagine that some people are going to be hit a bit differently by it. And maybe it's just a case of this one was, was, was a bit, was particularly, this was particularly shit for her. And I think that's the case. And I think it's also, she's in quite a strong class. I mean, you look at it, it's a case of she is against like, so gold, gold is going to probably go to Kyo from, from Taipei, Chinese Taipei. But that's, she's, so that's why I can see in 64, she's dropped down. She's in 59. That's my mistake. But that's like a stat class as well. So you've got Kyo from Taipei, you've got Zoe Smith, you've got um, the other Dahomey sister, the lighter one. Like yeah. it's quite a competitive class. Like when you look at it, so I think it's a case of, again, I think when it comes to like third, like who who nabs bronze, like especially for Zoe, it's just like if she gets five out of six lifts and she's in and she's, she's in. She's got, I think she's got to be stupidly consistent. Yeah. 
I think I think this this is the thing with the Olympics versus something else. I think when you look at the way I look at it, when you, you look at performances in the Europeans worlds, the um, the the uh, what's the word I'm looking for? You're looking at like your Pan Americans, your Pan Asians, and stuff like that. Like you look at all those regional events. You've got people there actually fighting for stuff, mm. going toe for toe, and potentially because there's separate medals, not being too worried if you bomb out because you can you're not out of the competition because you can still do the cleaning jerk and get a medal for it, which happens so many times to so many people. So, but at the Olympics, I think sometimes you you see a lot of these weight classes where they become even more consistent, and their 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 jumps and other bits and pieces aren't necessarily to chase a world record or this that and the other it's like what do i need to do to win it's like right i need to go probably six for six and like sort of stick the fear into people going all oh, right fuck zoe's gone two out of two on snatch or oh, shit like like put herself in an advantage position where she can take a jump at the end and go for something do you know what i mean so mm. i think it's um when you look at the olympics it tends to be apart from lasher who's a fucking separate entity altogether the law unto himself but I think everyone else tends to be a little bit more sort of held back. Let's go six for six. Let's try and build a total to actually win it versus being a little bit more gun gun ho and just like throwing whatever the fuck on they think they can do. And just like almost like some of the Bulgarian lifters, like just, just, just sending it and see what happens. It's got to be a little bit more consistency to your lifting in the Olympics because you don't really get, you can't afford to miss. It's as simple as that, even, even at the very, very top end. So if Zoe is like the most consistent she's ever been, she'll put the fear of God into other lifters and that will probably cause them to fuck up. Yeah. So that'll be the way I see her sneaking a medal or getting into that third, fourth, third, fifth type place. So it'll be good to see. Um, yeah. Obviously we've got... Um, Emily Godley in 76. I think yeah. she got through the... Was it a continental spot due to yeah. the Colombians getting bounced? No, it wasn't. I think mm. it was, was, um, no, it was it wasn't. a continental it, spot because the Colombians just got dashed. So then... It was. A, I'm pretty sure she got the continental spot because whoever was the European lifter got lifted up because of the Colombian, and then that Emily jumped up. Yeah. Emily jumped up from there. <laughs> I hope. I know she will be anyway because she's the constant professional. Everything I ever hear about her is she's just constantly training and she never stops. So I'm hoping that she knew about this and just carried on training regardless. Yeah. Um. Whilst because there was a bit of there was about a two and a half three week turnaround waiting for this to come through. Yeah. So I hope she's she's managed to stay on form. She's kept moving and other bits and pieces. Obviously, she won the Europeans, so yeah, and quite comfortably. But which which was a bit, I was a bit concerned about like when were these other girls holding back because it didn't really matter too much, or were they just um, actually outclassed by her? I thought I think I think it's a combination of the mentally outclassed. I think maybe they didn't approach the competition in the same professional manner she did. I think you saw a lot of lifters like not to say that this is the case for her class. But just as a consideration, like Boyanka Kostova, for example, showed up, obviously wasn't in the form she's ever been, the, the best form she's ever been. And she's probably not even close to that form. Like she was struggling to clean and jerk her best snatch. I think some people maybe didn't prep very well for these competitions because knowing that some countries Emily will have gone up against will have been centralised with doping. And now maybe they're not so much and they're having to do things for themselves. Yeah. Maybe that's, that's, that's what I would reasonably go to. Emily's going to beat them because she's used to doing things by herself. Like I think she works with Stuart, I think, but she basically trains her. She basically trains by herself. Like she's, she's in, in Australia, actually. Yeah, she trains by herself. Not yeah. even in the same country as the rest of the team. So when you think of it that way, it's like if you get it where okay, you're responsible for yourself. You're all basically responsible for yourselves. Some of you will have stipends. Some of you will have support from the government or or your sporting NGB. 
<clears throat> but for the most part, you're just on your you're on your own. Emily's been like that for a good while. So she knows what it's like to be plateauing, to have to manage the mental health yourself. Some of these other people won't have managed that. And I think that's where she could get some of them. I think my main concern would be is she's gotten to an Olympics. That is amazing in itself, especially from Britain. It's just a case of, I think, what? So you, looking at the top totals, like you're looking, you're looking into like the 240s, really, to be standing a chance. So I think her best total listed here is 223. Is she going to get 235 or 240 at this comp? I don't really know how much she's capable of because Emily Godley is very much what I would say is the absolute epitome of don't talk about it, be about it. She'll show up to a comp, do what she needs to, make it look very good and then go home. So you're never really going to see loads of heavy back squats with the numbers and her leaving a caption about, oh yeah, this, this is looking really easy at the moment. This is what I'm working on at the moment. So you can't get an impression of what is the rhythm in her training cycle, how is she doing? Like Emily Campbell, you can a little bit more. Sarah Davies, you definitely can. Zoe Smith and Emily Godley, you don't know what you're getting until they turn up on the day. You only yeah. know <laughs> previous competitions. And all we know about Zoe and Emily is more often than not, when there's a big competition, they'll pull something out of the bag if they need to. So if they're really close to podium, I reckon I would back Zoe and Emily to be able to nick something off someone else. Yeah. If they're not very close, I still think they'll put in a solid performance. Like even if it's like they're going to come fifth or they're going to come seventh, I think they'll still put in a solid performance so that they can get the highest spot that they can. Because I'm pretty sure... I think it's also one thing to mention as well, like with the way things are going with weightlifting now and the what I would like to call the start potentially of the cleaner era... Not the clean one, because I don't think it will ever be ever clean. I don't think any sport is clean anymore. But mm-hmm. these girls have actually worked their asses off for the past, what, four years with this rugby point system. And fundamentally, like, the three of them, apart from uh, uh, Emily, is like, they've actually earned their spots. Do you know what I mean? They've actually qualified in the top eight of the competitions and they've, they've validly earned their spots in there. So moving forward with it, if, like... It would be amazing for them to get a medal, but it's even them placing in the top eight, the top five, is going to be ridiculously good for British weightlifting and the future for British weightlifting. So, 100%. I think I'm hoping as well, because I remember at one point, I'm pretty sure funding was basically done on bring medals back when you don't get funding. Do you know what I mean? And that was it. So I'm hoping that that's changed. So it's a case of if you show improvement, you will get funding to reflect that, to, to, to try and get people up. And realistically, like, weightlifting might not be, it wasn't a very good spectator sport, but now it's a really good participation sport because of CrossFit, because of you know, different functional fitness stuff, like, you know, even turf games, national fitness games is going to feed into it. You're going to get people wanting to try it. So I think that from my point of view, if I'm looking at a rugby team, a rugby sevens, I cannot imagine how much money it costed for Portugal and Ireland to go from not having an official international team to being on the, on the international IRB seven circuit. I cannot imagine the amount of money it took. I cannot imagine how little money some of those lads on those teams probably got. When it comes to weightlifting, you're going to buy kit once every three to five years, like as in new, new, new barbells, plates, all this stuff. It doesn't take that much to invest in a lot of this stuff, especially when you consider the fact that for a new rugby team or a new football team or a new volleyball team, you have to create a facility for that with weightlifting if you just drop off some Aliko plates and give a platform to a gym and say, we need four of our guys and girls to train here, they'll probably go, yeah, fuck it. Yeah, we'll have them in. That'd be great. Do you know what I mean? So I think it, it, it does open up the doors to being able to give them some resource that will go very far away for whoever's delivering the funding to not actually have to give that much. Like I, I think I, I'm hoping that again, with it being the cleaner era of lifting and women's lifting looking like it's cleaner anyway, I'm hoping that it's going to provide more opportunities, especially since like, as hard as a lot of the girls work who go to the Olympics, whether it's for weightlifting, whether it's for track and field, as for football, like they work very hard for not a lot of pay. No. And weightlifting is one of those opportunities where actually we actually do a lot better in the women's elite side of things than we do in the men's. And it does provide a good opportunity to be a star and to be a professional athlete that 
is paid that might not otherwise be, whether you're looking at it through well, that, that'll be the, that'll be the thing that's obviously we um I was yeah. talking to uh, an, an elite female lifter short a short while ago and they were saying the same thing. They're like they're really hoping that for the sport, the future of the sport, I'm not going to take out of context what I've been told, but if the girls go there and absolutely kill it, we're gonna see we're gonna potentially see some funding. And if you turn the clock back three, four years ago now, where we, there was a setup at Loughborough, uh, primarily for the girls, because they were doing so much better, mm-hmm. it was all took away from them and the funding was took. So to consideration that the fact being that, that with very little help across the board on funding or, or some stipends and things like that, we've managed to take four girls to the Olympics who have all qualified under their own merit, not having to cheat to do it. And they've done it with class and dignity and actually got there and they're going to go there and absolutely fucking smash it. So I think it's, it's a great thing for the sport and hopefully it'll be, they're going to come back with some real positives. But obviously the, the last lift that we have to talk about, and unfortunately there is a, I don't want to go down the con- controversy route with it again, because I think we've, we've all fucking had enough of it now, but you've got Emily Campbell in the supers who genuinely, genuinely stands a solid chance to win in a medal because she, like, with the other lifters that can't be there because of bands and that's, it's the right thing them not being there to clean the sport up. She's, she's what, ranked fourth? Fourth, third or fourth in the listing for yeah. it? I mean, and it's not like she's ranked fourth, but like, because with some other people who end up getting highly ranked on that list, it's not like she's ranked fourth by a long way. Like, this is a case of this is going to be good. Like, this is going to be, yeah, this is going to be, this is going to be a bit of a tasty competition. I think looking at, just looking at that, even like obviously, and again, the case of the curious case of Laura Hubbard aside, like with all the issues that go on there, like what is it? So Lee Wen Wen's going. I don't think. Wow, Lee Wen Wen. Then you've got um, the American uh, Robles. Robles, who's a two ninety. You've got Kim. I don't know if Kim, if Kim from People's Republic of Korea is going. The Koreans aren't going. The Koreans aren't taking the team. So basically, you've got so in the top and like because of the lists are written weird because nothing can be done in a straightforward fashion in weightlifting. Um, I'm going to read these out probably wrong, but you've got Lee Wen-Wen, you've then got um, Sarah Robles. Yeah. After that, you've then got, is, is Lysenko going from Ukraine? And then after that, you've basically got Emily Campbell. And I think I basically, the top toast is 3-3-5 for Lee Wen-Wen. Don't know who's going to get close to that. She's got, the, she's like, she's in the, the, like the lucky, lucky spotlight lasher. It's her gold medal to lose. Yeah. She could go in and power and probably still win. Like she's that far ahead of everyone else. Obviously, yeah. and her nearest counterparts aren't going because of the bands. So yeah. But then you look at everyone below that, and everyone below like Sarah, Sarah Robles is two ninety. Everyone below that who is basically could beat Emily Campbell is like a two eight three, a two seven nine, a two eight six, or two eighty. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So it's that case of looking at some of these oh, lifts on here. They're within like, within inches of each other, and the scary yeah, thing is, I, mean, I, I don't uh, think we've seen the best from Emily yet. Like, no, and I think that's a point worth making as well. Like Lee Wen Wen, she's good for another maybe one or two kilos in each lift every year if she decides to compete after this year. Some of the other lists are Sarah Robles. Like I think Sarah Robles will put in another good performance because, again, consummate professional, she is consistent in terms of what she does. Emily Campbell is the only one. Yeah, and I think Sarah, sorry, not Sarah, Emily Campbell is one of the only ones on that list who maybe their progress has basically just been a very, very sharp increase. Well, not even a sharp, because it's not just gone up. It's been just a steady increase across the years. And with her being injured for half of that, like I remember, do you remember the Instagram post she put up where basically she said, this is why my knee's been hurting. It's like basically a rock behind her knee where some bones chipped off. So she progressed with a massive, like basically debilitating injury where the pain is so bad, you can't really use one of your legs properly. 
she rehabbed and kept on progressing again. Like she didn't miss, she didn't, she, it just looked like she hadn't missed any of her training. Looked like she had a month off and then come back to it. Now that's how seamless her transition from training to surgery to rehab to training was. And she's the only person where they're progressing like this. So like where she's going from like a 260 total, then the next time it's 265, then it's 270, then it's 275, it's 280. Laurel Hubbard has a big total that's beaten any of her previous ones in. Oh no, two years, three years. Yeah, so exactly. So she's at 286. She'll blew her elbow out. Yeah, she'll do 280 to 290 again. Sarah Robles will probably be within the 285 to 295 mark. If anyone gets 290 plus, I think that'll be who gets bronze. And I think Emily Campbell would be capable of going up to about 290. So I think we'll I think we'll see that, especially in the cleaning jerk. I reckon she'll have something. I think she'll have something massive there. I think it's it's it's, it's the age old thing with our sport, and, that, and like, I don't think many people can understand it. Like, apart from people that do it, it's like the right day, the right time, the right feng shui, the right breeze coming through the room, and anything's possible. So we mm. hope and pray that everything lines up for Emily. Um, and like I say, you've just you've just seen her from literally every competition she's gone to since she's come back from the knee problem. She's just she's just leveled up, leveled up, leveled up, yeah. and it's and it it just looks like there's even more in the tank. When you look at the the, the lifts that she did at the Europeans, respectfully, we both know better than most people that like you're pulling you're pulling on a bar and it, it gets to a certain point and it just feels like death. But then you look at the video after, it's like, oh my, God, I actually moved that really well. But I'm telling you now, it did not feel like that. It's it's just got to the point now with like the weight she's moving are ridiculous, but it still looks effortless. There's a there's a lasherish thing about her where it's like, oh, are you, you actually going to pull your finger out and try? Mm. Like she's she, she's just bossing it from a fucking level that I I don't think many of us can even understand or get to. So, and I also think she's um. She's a little bit like Jamal in one sense as well. The fact being that that attitude towards competition fires her up even more. I think like she, you, you just see a level come out of her that's on a, on a different page. So being at the Olympics, being at the, the, the greatest spectacle on earth for sport and then presented a chance that you might be able to sneak a medal if everything aligns, mate, I think that's just going to light a rocket under her ass. And yeah. I also think, I don't want to talk for her or assume, but I also think that a lot of the girls in that uh, 87 plus category are going to want to put their potentially want to put their foot down with this whole Laurel Hubbard situation and put it to bed. Yeah. I think there's going to be, there's going to be some female lifters there that are going to be like, they've, take, they, 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 they've had enough of this now. They just want to prove a point. It doesn't matter if you're a male before or not, like you're not going to beat us. Yeah. Especially, especially a 43 year old transitioning male. Yeah. I think, I think that is, I think that is the case. And it's one of those things as well. It's like the advantage for Laurel in terms of like, when you look at the science of transitioning all this stuff, in, just in terms of my head, and I don't know if it's how this works. So if anyone does hear this and they think that's fucking wrong, then obviously message in so that we can correct it. But if you obviously take some performance enhancing drugs, you're, the, the biggest effect of them you're going to have is when you're obviously saturated with it. So anyone who's taken, let's say, caffeine or creatine before, so creatine being the long-term um, example and caffeine being the short-term, the longer you're off of it, so the longer you get away from the time you took it, the, like the, the effects lessen and maybe even you start to experience some kind of like not withdrawal but you know like a drop-off effect of it where you may be a bit worse off if you've had basically what laura's had which is a natural testosterone therapy for your whole life or most of your life then you've transitioned the further you get away from that transition date when your natural testosterone production stopped does that mean that every day you're away from it you've experienced less and less and less and less and less of the benefit so even though yes she's had an advantage does it mean that it's going to become harder and harder and harder for her to PB? And basically what we're seeing now, 280 to 290 in terms of total, like in that bracket, that's as good as it's going to get. Whereas with Emily Campbell, like I've just looked on the IWF site 
and literally she's gone in each period 260 267 276 in period one period two period three and now we're into like period four i suppose and that's what's recorded so when you look at laurel hubbard like i think her results actually went down across time they didn't go down by much but enough where you look at it and think you would hope that they'd at least stay the same or you'd see like an upward trend where we're seeing a bit of a downtick so i think that's one of the things that I, I, think it's, it's, I think it for Laurel as well, it's an age thing. I can empathise being 40 this year. It's like, you can't sustain it. It's, it's, you just can't, you physically can't. Especially if you're taking, in, and then you're taking a level of hormones to suppress. Mm. It's, it's, it's like, I don't, I, I, I just can't, I can't see them. I can't see her putting up a total that's going to be that, massive to be truthfully honest I just, I just can't see it and especially the hashtag fact of this as well completely blew dislocated their elbow out at the last major competition that she did mm. at the, at the commonwealth games i'm pretty sure in in um australia complete fracture or dislocation of the elbow during a snatch so that in itself is one of the harder injuries to come back from so and i think after that you didn't i don't recall hearing of her lifting at anything major international wise didn't go to a world's anything along those kept it more yeah. sort of like local uh the pan was it the pan oceanic games or the oceanic games or something like that i think that's anything she lifted in mm-hmm. so it's not like she then continued to push herself against the top lifters in the world. Just, yeah, just, so I um, think looking at that, then I'm pretty sure if I've worked this out, I think Emily Campbell's like sat fifth or sixth in terms of the starting list rankings. Yeah. So then if you don't think about that, it's like the only people ahead of her is a 283 lifter and then Laurel Hubbard 285 and then Sarah was a 290. You sort of think, well, <clears throat> even if none of them have a bad day and they all do around that number again, I would still back if Emily's going to do better than she did at her last comp to, to, to beat one of those, those lot out. And even if, <clears throat> even if she got fourth, or she got fifth at the Olympics and PB her total. That is still a massive progression in what we've seen oh, before. It's also like gone with next to no funding in terms of because our sport isn't really well funded at the moment because we don't do that well in the Olympics. So then we don't get funding. So then we don't do that well. It's the weird it's a vicious circle. But to go without any actual centralized funding and no real meaningful backing to be a professional athlete, you've gone and competed against professional athletes from state funded countries and you've gotten in top five. Not even you got in top five. Your top five will even go. I think that's absolutely massive. The girl, the girls have like flown the flown the flag for themselves and proven this can be done. And then, then then your argument is like fund them. Yeah, British weightlifting, whatever whatever you need to do, like if it's an extra five or a year or whatever the fuck. Imagine if what they've done off their own backs with their own personal coaches and everything else like that. Imagine what would happen if you actually put all these people in the same spot together and got no, them to- I hope that they get a bit more of a spotlight as well. Because in terms of Sarah Davis and Emily Campbell, like I know they're friends, but they are very di- well. I think they're very different. I've only really spoken or gotten to interact like at, at length with Emily. But Sarah Davis is unbelievably professional and is very thorough in what she does, which I think is a great example for other people who maybe maybe there are girls out there who want to get into weightlifting. We don't really know how to, don't really know what next steps to take. Mm-hmm. If she got this highlight, the, the spotlight that I think she deserves and she also thinks that she deserves because I think she's very confident in herself then it would be good to see that example Emily Campbell just seems to have fun and I think that's the main thing there's not that many people who make it look fun like without naming anyone there's a lot of people who will talk about weightlifting being suffering and not being that fun it being a real grind it being a really solitary thing and it's sometimes not being enjoyable and it's just this case of you can't use that <laughs> to get people in always being yeah. in, always being beaten up and doing it for this weird romantic idea that 
doing it all for that one, you know, big lift that you do in your garage by yourself on a platform one time, that one time is all worth it. It has to be made to seem enjoyable. Like rugby professionally wasn't actually that fun. Like it was actually quite hard, but you enjoy it because you enjoy playing, but it's made enjoyable by the coaches you have. Like one of the things they always say when you go into like rugby, I think every club that I was at where the coach is worth anything, like even Mike Rea at Bedford Blues, who was one of the sternest people I've ever met in my life. Like, I think if you tried to fire him and say, yeah, Mike, we don't want you coaching here anymore. He would just say, I don't think that's how it is. And you just agree with him. You wouldn't be able to like, get him to leave. And he was like, even to me, he was like, you've got to be serious about this. Like you've got to play with some desperation. You've got to, you've got to be about this. But he's also like, but you have to enjoy it. Like, are you enjoying it? That was one of his questions. If you're not enjoying it, we need to stop having this conversation. There's no point. But if you're enjoying it, then we talk about it. Do you know what I mean? So I think it's... With elite sport is when, when you're, when the sport you do and you get good at it and you become elite, when you're, hobby becomes your job yeah that's the fine line and that's when i've seen my friends who went off to play high level rugby the the, the further steps that, that, that got past me and it was like that it's like you're right is this you either have to have the mentality this is your job now and you're going to love your job or you've got to be kind of like you know, the prime example not to go off on a tangent you look at um how joe marla responded socially when uh, harlequins had the fans back in and stuff like that he's yeah. like he, he hated everything and then all of the fans are back in it just you saw how much it meant to him and he realised actually I'm really lucky to do this job. So I think it's like that. But for the girls, I, 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 I'm going to be there watching, cheering them on, hoping that we we see them absolutely fucking kill it. It would be amazing if they came, all came back with a medal. Mm. Uh, but I think for the future of the sport, let's just hope they, they, they have an absolutely outstanding Olympics and bring back some focus on the sport. Because that would be the big thing because we've proven what we can do. Like I say, in the scenario, like you said about how the girls conducted themselves and move forward. Now, imagine if they had proper fucking funding. Imagine if they actually were being looked after fed physios, like not, not to go like down the OTC route, like something like that. But imagine if they were given back Loughborough and having the ability to train somewhere full time under a coach with no worries or woes or anything like that to, to not mm. know when their next paycheck is going to come in or if they're going to get, <clears throat> well, I think once I heard last time from like, I think it was from the, one of the Olympics that some of our GB lifters were getting um, vouchers from Audi to help them with food, but it was something pitiful. It was like a 20 quid voucher a month. It's like, well, how the fuck is that going to help anyone? 20 quid. That's mm. ridiculous. It's like, what, what use is that? Like, you're a, Audi, if you're one of the main sponsors for the GB team, you should be fucking like helping these fuckers out even more than that. I know there's a, yeah. that's a vast GB team, but little things like that go go such a long way if they can get if they can get the right funding and stuff like that. Because you, you look at all the state-run things like that. There's a reason why they're producing such high-level lifters. It's because they're all in the same place, being looked after, being fed, being watered, physios, doctors, all that sort of stuff. And you're like, you know, you you see it from the top end Premiership level rugby stuff like that. It just creates champions. It's as simple as that. It's not rocket science. Perfect scenarios, perfect situations, decrease stress. And then you'll see these girls go to another level. So, but. yeah. But I think that's it, isn't it? It's like you look at like, so with rugby, you can see like who's who's like a, an absolute professional, someone like Johnny Wilkinson, who maybe didn't necessarily enjoy the act of playing, but he enjoyed the success that he got. He enjoyed the result, but not necessarily the actual playing. And then you look at, some of the lads who play for Fiji. So Jerry Tuai, who absolutely hated training and Ben Ryan, I think had to dig into him and break him a little bit. Yeah. Um, or at least his, like, his club coach did when he was younger to try and get him to understand this is enjoyable, but you do have to do some work first. Or yeah. certainly Radraja, where it's maybe a bit more of a balance where you watch them play and they enjoy it. 
like they really just love going out and playing like they don't really care about the training stuff they don't even necessarily care about the money that much they just want to be able to play yeah. and I think it's a case of you have to balance it with each person like is this someone who's enjoying this because it's they're calling they don't care if it's not enjoyable in the moment they enjoy the act they, they enjoy the result they enjoy the actual process of it or is it someone who just when they're in it loves it and you just need to let them you just need to enable them to come in every day and just get stuck in and I think that's I think that's the important thing. I think there's a lot of people that you'd see come out of the woodwork and maybe transfer over from different sports if you just gave them the opportunity to get stuck in and do a sport where they don't have to worry about, oh, am I going to be able to do this competition because I've got to get day off work? Am I going to be able to go to this competition because I've got money because I need to have money saved? And they can just go and enjoy themselves. And I think funding is the funding is definitely the first part. It is definitely the first part of that. I think even just even if it was just a case of you don't have to pay for your food. Like, so you, whether you get like meal prep, you get like, food, like we're saying food vouchers for nowadays, all your food bills just paid for. So you get reimbursed, your kit's reimbursed. You get a place to train. You don't have to pay for any of the gym fees. You don't have to pay for your coaching. That's a major thing. Well, I know there's probably, there's probably some people who would maybe benefit on our team or people that we'd have in the future that might benefit. If let's say you're paying, so we're 70 pounds a month at the moment and you then pay up to about, it's going to be about 150 pounds if then you're coming in and getting coaching by us regularly as well, like in the team sessions. Imagine if you just didn't have to pay that because your because because your NGB covers it and then you also get your food covered so that's two three hundred pound a month that doesn't go out and then you also get your travel covered so that's like another two grand a year that doesn't go out because they managed to subsidize it and you just have to do a few appearances or post a few things and then all of a sudden it's like wow I only need a part-time job I don't even need to have a full-time job yeah do you know what I mean and then it kind of like it might be a little bit of a case of it feels like pausing time a bit to do the athletic thing but I think a lot of people would take the opportunity because there's a lot of jobs that people go into afterwards, like in terms of corporate, in terms of, I know some of them lifters are going into law afterwards um, and different things. But I think just having something there that's a bit more than what it is now is the, is the next step. Yeah, and, and, and unfortunately, it's the age-old thing that money does make the world go around. And it's, that's, that's where it'll be. It'll be the, the government funding, UK, force, UK sport funding, things like that, just to put these girls in a position where they can step up and go to that next level, which will be more European medals, world medals, Commonwealth Games, championships, and hopefully one day in our lifetime, some Olympic medals. So, but that'd be it. But then obviously like the, the, the big, the white elephant in the room is what's it going to take for us to get the boys competitive? Hmm. That's, that's the one that gets me now. I think it's, um, I think we're respect, respectfully to some of the lads that are lifting now internationally. They're very good lifters. But they're, they're B session lifters. Yeah. So I think that's the, I think they're fairly B session lifters. I think that's the thing that's worth looking at. Like Toshiki Yamamoto was a B session lifter, but because of the support he gets with any suspicions of doping of some of these guys or doping sanctions taken out for now for this argument, Toshiki used to be a B session lifter when he was an 85. Then he went to 89 and then he was at the bottom of the A session. No, he wasn't even an A session lifter. He won the clean and jerk medal, I think, from the B session. Then he went to the A session, then he started getting fourth or fifth. Then he started going to the A session as 96 and started getting into the medal zone. Do you know what I mean? So it's a case of, because he was well supported, I think all SOC handles most of the sponsorship so that he can be a professional athlete and he represents them. I think it's worth noting that one, yes, doping is worse than the men's side of things. Even if you just go pure off suspicion alone and the fact that the sport's been going longer and also men are stupid. We are stupid compared to women. We will probably take, like a lot of men will take will take more drugs even if they're not competing in the sport for money. Like when you look at powerlifting and you look at the untested federations, some of them do actually pay quite well. For, well, I win powerlifting for winning untested stuff. Uh, but it's not as much as you'd think for the amount of money that they put into like gear cycles and stuff. But I think that from the boys' side of things, I think there's three things that kind of hurt it. I think it's three. I'm probably going to now do like two or four and make it and show that I can't count. But the first one is like 
there's other professional sports options. Like if I really wanted to be a professional athlete and not to blow my own trumpet or sound arrogant, but I would go back to rugby and go into semi-pro rugby there or try to go back to rugby sevens and try to break into it there. Like I'm getting towards the point where I'm, I'm almost like too old to go back and make a massive thing of it. But if that was my choice, like I had to choose a professional sport, am I going to do weightlifting or am I going to do rugby? I'd probably choose rugby professionally and then do weightlifting for fun. If I was going to choose professional sports, if that was all I was concerned about was what sport am I going to do? Um, <clears throat> like a lot of other lads would choose football. Some would choose, I think I'm um, one of the lads, Jack, who competes for, who is in the Commonwealth selection fight, Jack. I think he used to do judo at like a, like a, like a relatively like high level. Um, Jessica Brown did judo as well. I think she also did gymnastics, but I think she did judo to a international level. So she could technically, she could probably go back to that. But the best opportunity for her is weightlifting, as an example. But for the boys, as a case of if you're a good athlete here and you're talented, you might be talented at something else where you could get paid for being at not as high a level in comparison. So like playing in step three, so let's say national one or championship in rugby and not being an international would pay you more than being an international for England would. As a matter of fact, it would probably cost you, it would probably cost you more to be an international in weightlifting than it would to than it yeah. would to just be a club player somewhere else in rugby or football. I think that's the main issue is that there's too many other opportunities to get paid for doing a sport like CrossFit as well. There's too many other opportunities to be good at stuff and be able to get paid for it than there are to be great at weightlifting and get paid for it and get rewarded as you should. Um, the second issue is obviously the drugs. They've been going on for a very long time. Men's, men's weightlifting appears to be saturated with it. And I think that unless you can remove that issue, so we're actually going on a level playing field, we're going to have issues. I think the other reason is, is because the old school mentalities and the old school approaches of just people trying to pretend that their experience trumps any new developments in training has been around for longer in the men's side of things. So all the old dogma of training approaches and just getting on with it and taking, you know, Russian training programs and stuff and trying to pass it off in, off to natural lifters has gone on longer with men than it has with women. And I think maybe that hurts it because we're trying to use training approaches of doped lifters from training systems where they've been developed since they were 12, when we've actually got a natural guy who's just come out of rugby when he's 19, who says he wants to give weightlifting a go, but doesn't actually have the capacity to do that program yet. And also doesn't need to do it yet. Do you know what I mean? So I think it's just a case of the disconnect between <clears throat> how do we develop natural lifters and how do we incentivize natural lifters on both the male and female side, maybe less so the female side, because there's examples now, but on the male side, like, who like my brother, for example, he could do, he's pretty decent at weightlifting. He's very good at powerlifting and he's very, very good at um, Taekwondo. Like he's actually competed nationally at that, but who's he going to look to who looks like him, who performs at high level in weightlifting? No one. Whereas if you've got, if, if you've got like a girl who's like, who's absolutely massive, who maybe used to do shot put or hammer throw, but might be able to do weightlifting, who's she going to, oh, Emily Campbell. She's got an example right there. Do you know what I mean? There's, exa there's examples. If you're someone who, is a little bit more glamorous, who wants to be a little bit more kind of like rambunctious and wants to be a little bit more flamboyant. You've got Sarah Davies. You've got someone there who calls herself the Barber Queen as an example. If you want to be more understated as a girl, you've got Emily Godley. You've got these kind of like, you know, you've got these avatars there. You've got the avatars there, which I think is the main thing. Like the boys don't have any avatars. Like we don't have anyone that really look up to you. Like, yeah, who is there now, really? The, and that's, that's the sad thing. I think we've had a couple of lifters that were potentially going to be something good that never really I don't understand what happened you had Darius <clears throat> the, the guy from Wales who is going to be the next super who ended up American football mate yeah he ended up like D2 American football sco uh, scholarship at the end of the day and um, <laughs> you've, you've still got some valid lifters in the country that are still very very good lifters who have meddled at Commonwealth level which is where our boys would be more competitive uh, due to the state of international lifting with the Eastern Bloc countries and, and, the, and the countries that have doped for so long. But I just, th I just think we're, we're, it's, it's great to see the girls side of the thing 
absolutely killing it. I think we need to start doing some because I can remember back in the day them doing like talent searches for female lifters. Mm. Never really anything came up talent search for male lifters. So I think it'll be an interesting thing if British weightlifting after the Olympics were to, to, to run something, especially to try and find the, the, the young guns in the, in the men's side of things at sort of just a talent event. Because I remember Lucy done it. That's how she got onto some of the training squads where she just turned up, did like a vertical jump off plates and all these other bits and pieces. And she fell straight into the, to the, the high-end elite categories of what she was at the time. So... I don't believe that was open to boys. If I'm wrong, please someone correct me. But I think it was only girls. Um, I think there was talent ID stuff. So I think I'm um, like Christian McPhee, um, that one of my friends, Dave Frazier, because they didn't have enough guys of the appropriate age group, but he still hit the quotas for something. He went to some of the camps and stuff. So they did have the same thing. It just didn't, I just don't think it necessarily took off in the same way. It didn't have the same shine on it because maybe they didn't find, I mean, it's like a lottery to find people like Zoe Smith, like oh. Lucy like Emily Godley, like Emily Campbell anyway, but I think you would have hoped that because of the way that that sport is, you would have found more people. But I think as well, you have to look at other sports. I look at what, but I know that it's different because there's direct transferable skills. Uh, whereas weightlifting, it's almost like you have to build, you have to almost break someone down a little bit to build them back up again to an extent. But with, with our bobsleigh or, or sevens, for example, like Jamaica rugby sevens, I'm pretty sure. And bobsleigh for Jamaica have to, for quite a lot of crossover between athletes. Oh. Because they've gone, and, they've gone and tried to look at who's a track and field athlete from England who might be able to qualify for Jamaica. Oh, we've got rugby players who might be able to do bobsleigh. Oh, I've got weightlifters who might be able to go bobsleigh. Do you know what I mean? And they have that whole thing where they can they, they oh. kind of look at athletes from other sports who might be well-suited, who might be willing to transfer or do both. And I think that's the thing that maybe we don't do as well. Like I remember with like the American weightlifting camp stuff, weightlifting camp and the rug, rugby stuff, they were very big on coming and trying to get expats and people who qualify for America who really want to play for them outside who developed in other countries that had more of a who had more of a history of rugby but then once it got to a certain point where they almost hit critical mass with that we've got enough players inside the country who want to stay here now this is the last year we're doing it and then we're gonna just we're just looking to build athletes from scratch and then if you're not if you're coming from outside the system to win you've got to be really good if you want to get to a top level and I feel like with weightlifting it's all well and good me saying that's what we should do but I think there's got to be something in there where we can maybe get some people even if they just casually do weightlifting but they're really good so someone like Prosper Armstrong who used to be at Palace, where I think he came from American football, as an example, like where you've got people who they do the lifts anyway. And I think with CrossFit, that'll make it easier. Even if you just got some CrossFit, to dabble and do some weight. Yeah. The thing that gets me with CrossFit, and um, I'll, I'll, bring him, I'll bring him up for the second time this year, and I'm pretty sure that it was him that done it, is that Phil Andrews, he, um, CrossFit did the thing called the big lift off or something like that. Mm. And uh, at this point, he'd, he'd got his job from London 2012, where he was doing some organizational stuff for the GB team. And then he took on a role within American weight, uh, the USA weightlifting. He, if I'm wrong, I apologize, but I'm pretty sure I heard that he tried to get access and got access to the big lift off of where it was of all the junior lifters in the CrossFit community that done it and had a look at their numbers and then said, by the way, do you know that your son or daughter has done this in this competition that would have actually won them the junior junior nationals here is the local weightlifting coach may i suggest you send your son or daughter to the this local weightlifting coach who's accredited usa weightlifting coach you could have a future olympian on hand and i'm pretty sure that's where harrison maris came from i think you're right yeah i think he did get found in a in like something to do with crossfit first so i just sit there and think if the americans have this information 
surely there were some British lifters that may have done the same. And I, I just think we, we, moving forward for us, we've got to, like you say, we've got to put our fingers into other pies and utilize and get other athletes trying weightlifting. So like I've seen it like locally where I'm in Chelmsford, there's a girl called Alicia who's a ex GB bobsledder and G I think she, she's definitely Commonwealth sprinter. I can't remember if she's done GB level sprinting as well. She's power cleaning hundred kilos at something ridiculously light. Mm. She's freakishly, freakishly powerfully strong. It's like, and she's kind of reached the end of her sort of sprinting, getting near the end of sprinting for her. And it's like, I keep saying to her, so when are you going to come over to the dark side? Because if you've done that, imagine what happened if you actually put six months of solid, just weightlifting training in and what you could achieve. And she's like, yeah, yeah, I know, I know. But she's, she's still fighting that battle because she still wants to, to make it sort of in that sprinting world. But yeah. there's, there's some, like, there's some throwers out there. Like we, we both know because we watch the same guy on, on Instagram, the thrower who just throws 200. Oh, um, the guy from Venezuela, I can't remember what he's called, but I think he trained in an American college somewhere, but yeah. uh, he's, um, he's power clean 212. If yeah. I, if I but, like with straps on and just, 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 just snatching like, 120, 130, like it's nothing from the hip. Basically catching it on straight legs. Yeah, but you've got these freakishly strong people out there that may or may not make it as a thrower, collegiate thrower, stuff like that. And you just hope that talent pathways see these people go, well, if we just polish you a little bit, mm. we could have an Olympian here. And that's that's work. The prime example for that is Wes Kitts, where Spitz got shown him after doing some grid stuff and took him away. And now he's turned, he's helped Wes become an Olympian. Because Wes was just doing stuff at grid that was just ridiculous. So I'm hoping we can potentially put some talent pathway stuff in and get some guys lifting because it would be nice to say by Paris or hopefully further along the line, we're still in the Olympics, that we at least have two or three guys going. Mm. I mean, I, like, I just I just think it'd be a nice thing and that will then help push the sport and push the sport if, if, if we start to see that. But we'll be there cheering the girls on. And then hoping to see some lads lifting in the next one, mm. which would be good. Yeah. So I, I think, yeah, I think hopefully it'll, it'll develop because obviously it takes a long time anyway. It's kind of like with, like again, to use like a rugby example, like Semi Rodrigo mm. basically got picked up being a fisherman. I think yeah. if yeah. I remember correctly, like he was literally a fisherman in um <laughs> in Fiji somewhere, and they picked him up and said, "Would do you want to train? We just want to kind of see what you can do. You don't have to stay." but we want you to just try it out. And within a year, I think he was in the squad. He started and he scored a brace every year. With weightlifting, it's not going to be a case of you find someone really promising and within a year, they're going to the Olympics. You know what I mean? Like it takes like, it takes a while. And that's what's hard to convince people. It's like the fun is in doing it and progressing, but it's convincing people to stick with it when they're not necessarily as good as what they thought they'd be yet. And that's the hard thing. Whereas with like football, with rugby, like you can kind of, you can kind of get people up to speed fairly quickly and you can kind of pull out their potential fairly quickly and then polish it. Whereas with weightlifting, it's more difficult to do that. So I think that is the challenge, but I'm sure, I'm sure there will be a way around it. I think just by doing like we've already mentioned earlier, like the London, like the London league stuff, or just having different leagues, having different competitions to go to in different ways, you can get attention drawn to yourself, which everyone enjoys usually. Then I think that's what's going to be, that's what's going to be helpful. If there's at least different levels, because if you know that you could be a, let's say if you, you could be like an open level athlete, then you could be a premier level athlete, then you could be an international, then you could be an Olympian. At least it doesn't go from being like, you just kind of need to grit it out until you get to top three at nationals. Oh, now you could go for the Olympics, but you actually need to do like 60 kilos more than what you did at nationals. Yeah, no, mate, you're, you're, you're absolutely on point on that. You know, so. It's anticlimactic. It's like, oh yeah, what do I win for winning nationals? Are oh, you in more pain and suffering for the next six years to maybe qualify, but probably not. You get a goodie bag from USN. 
Yeah, it's like that. Um, what's the um, what's the, it's the weird um, it's the weird like mole people thing from um, was it? Oh, was it from? I'm pretty sure it's from like Minecraft or something. They spin the wheel, then go, yeah, what do I win? It's like a sad feeling. Oh, <laughs> like that is basically what it is. Like, oh, I, I won nationals. What do I get? It's like, oh well, you can come back next year. Um, but then after that, you need to put like another sixty kilos on your total to, to do it to do the next thing. And it's like, oh. here's your medal. Come back next year. Do it again. <laughs> that is what if that's literally what it feels like. Which is why I think it's it's convincing people get around, train with your friends, do fun stuff, mm. maybe do another sport semi casually on the side <laughs> so that you have something else to do that takes your attention off the fact that you're having to work really hard, even though your numbers increasing, to not really be able to go to any high level competitions because they're so far away. I think that's the I think that's the thing. It's finding something to, to put in as a level. So instead of going from, it'd be like us going from Sunday league to premiership football and there's no jump yeah. and you don't know how good you have to get before you get there. The weightlifting is kind of similar, even though there's totals, like, you know, qualification totals. It's kind of like, well, I'm going to keep working harder, but I don't really know exactly how to get to that next level. Whereas in every other sport, you kind of have a feeling, like you have like a kind of like a bit of a feeling or a very clear criteria for that's how I get to the next step. And I think that's what's kind of missing maybe. It's not the fact that we don't know. It's just that the next step feels like it's 10 steps away and we don't know what the other nine are rather than rather than that. On to the, on to the next thing. So I know it's a, it's a topic that, that you're probably more well-armed to speak about now, but the bands and chain stuff. And yeah. actually, actually just specialty bars. So even like the safety bar, um, right, so I think with the I think sort of to give people the premise, sort of like where we ended up going down a route on this last time, and we, we did a podcast that unfortunately got corrupted. And I think we went pretty hard on that, and it was it was some jewels there we missed, and we're trying to sort of bring them back up again. But with the sport now getting cleaner and looking at different training modalities of countries and bits and pieces, I personally think we're going to see more new age thought processes and ways and means to train to come through now because obviously the old way of training was pretty much like almost to, to sort of kind of put it in one context is like let's put you in the bin let's see how long you can stay in the bin for whilst you're on sups whilst you're on peds and we just ride that to the to the wheels literally fall off now that isn't an option anymore people are having to train smarter clever quicker and find different modalities to get the best out of people and um i about I think was it after the first competition out of lockdown um I decided that I, I needed to find a way of getting faster mm -hmm. I'm getting older I'm finding that there is still fuel left in the tank even how much I try to fight you and Campbell and everyone else on it but unlocking that potential now is becoming harder and harder and harder just due to the nature of being 40 this year so me using my favorite toy to piss you off is not working anymore. The mm. panda, me just doing panda poles is almost, I've ridden that train to it till the wheels have fallen off it. Mm. And it's getting to a point where like, it didn't matter what I was panda pulling. I wasn't moving fast enough. So I decided to run a program of about eight weeks of banded pulls. And then when I did this, I had a load of people on all different levels of social media throw shit at me going, it's weightlifting. It's not powerlifting. It's all this other bollocks with it. Who do you think you are, Louis Simmons? I'm like, no, I'm just like, I'm not trying to like reinvent the wheel. I'm just trying to make it look a bit better, a bit funkier. There's other ways to do it, but yet still use the same sort of concepts. So, and it worked. <laughs> and it's like, we laugh and joke about it all the time. Like bands and chains really work. They fucking do. Yeah. We could, we could throw you all kinds of like science and 
velocity and this, that, and the other. But fundamentally, for me to give to give the guys here an example, like I, as Chris knows, I've used VBT a lot over the past four or five years because a lot of my time I was spent on my own and I didn't have a coach there to say to me, "You're not moving fast enough. You're doing this that, and the other." So I built up a bit of my own VBT style plan, and I've gone from snatching one ten and my everything up to about ninety percent around about 1.8 to 1.9 meters per second and since the eight weeks of me using the banded process that i used i now snatch everything above i think the only time it drops down below two meters per second now is when it's over 130 kilos Mm -hmm. so it's like the bands very very quickly for me humbled me straight away they made me realize where i was being slow and weak and i was relying upon Believe it or not, when you look at the data, I've got a very explosive pull from my from the floor to the knee, but then I tend to coast and I don't use my legs. And mm. Mehmet constantly reminds me of this and hits me with a stick when I'm not doing it. Yeah. But the bands, the, when I did my very first session with just 100 kilos on there with roughly 40 to 50 kg of band, I was in bits. Mm. Like my, my legs were fucked. My back was fucked. I realized where I was using my back yeah. to move the bar instead of staying. And like, it literally humbled my lifting straight away. Yeah. And then within, like I say, that four or six week period of like, just gradually building and building it. All of a sudden I've unlocked a level now that if I just carried on doing panda pulls, I would have never unlocked. So I just, I just think like, and I'll get your thoughts on it now. Like I think moving forward as coaches, we have to be, we need to take the blinkers off of a lot of the ways that we're doing stuff and, and look at some of these new different variations. Like you're, you're playing around with a safety squat bar on some absolute crazy level stuff that I can see the logical transfer into other things. Whereas other coaches would be like, what the fuck's he doing now? Well, yeah, I think, I think it's a case of it's looking at it as well. Like you've got to find a way to like unify the principles across different sports, different disciplines so that you understand how things work. And it's a case of, even just looking at something really simple, like, so joint angles, moment arm, um, uh, levers, moment arms, all this, all this different stuff. And looking at even just being able to look, put stuff like that together with different phases of gait. So early, mid starts, late starts, all this stuff and learning how muscles work when you're in different positions. So then you can understand that if I use a safety bar, why is that different? If I'm still loading the bar axially, so on my shoulders, it's pushing me down. If I'm visiting the same range of motion and more or less the same joint angles as my back squat, front squat, why does that transfer any less? And I think that's what people don't understand. And the thing is also is even if you don't believe it does, having a bar on your shoulders, a raw metal bar with your hands on it, sometimes it can beat up your shoulders. And with a safety bar, you can change it into a front squat. So you can have the same weight distribution on your feet. You can have the same joint angles and you can have the same back angle as you would in a front squat. I'm not saying that you just safety bar squat, but if you're fucked, like your wrist hurts, your shoulders hurt, your thoracic hurts, you don't get much rotation to your thoracic. You're struggling to squat unless you warm up for two hours then but your gym has a safety bar or you can buy one off mirror fit or strength shop for like under 200 quid why not get it and try it because it's going to do the same thing and the other thing as well is that there is such a thing as like your body is going to respond differently depending on how your mind responds to the exercise so if you're having the intent of i really want to accelerate through this way i really want to manhandle it i've really got a, a really clear intent of what i want to do and you're excited because you get to use a different bar and it feels good you're going to react differently to that than if you just try to survive underneath the back squat when it feels grimy, your shoulders hurt, your hips hurt and all that stuff. So I think it's just a case of that as well. And with the bands and chains as well, it's like you get decelerate. The, the simplest way for me to argue it is you get deceleration at the top of reps of different stuff. So snatch and clean and jerk, you don't because you're literally doing a ballistic strength speed movement. You're trying to throw a barbell above your head or onto your shoulders. <laughs> when you do like a deadlift or a back squat, like you get like um 
is it a hyperbolic curve? So where basically like the speed spikes towards the middle of the lift, then it drops off at the end. You don't want that for weightlifting. So if you want to train something that is a bit more specific, a band or chain would stop you from having the intent of trying to decelerate the bar because it's the bar's being pulled down at the top. You're not hitting a dead point and training that will help more. And also because it's increasing gravity, it's making you have to try and accelerate harder. So your intent is I need to keep positions and accelerate through this weight, not just I need to deadlift this off the floor because the intent, even if you don't believe it is, they are different. And in, in anything that's going to change the intent so it improves your technique or it makes you feel something is important because as much as like sensation-based might be a bit of like a naff term and some people might not believe in it. Like you need to be able to feel where you are in space. You need to be able to feel where the bar is. You need to be able to feel the, the, the balance on your feet. You need to be able to feel the muscles working so you understand what's happening. And a band or chain might make you feel that. If you don't understand how to accelerate out of the bottom of a squat, but a pause safety bar squat with chains does it for you and you recover really quickly from it, then why would you not just do that? But most people would be like, oh, I'll just do small love again. Yeah. It's the same like when I used um, Hatfield squat during this block as well. Mm. like massive overload like i was doing five once a week five by five 255 with a hand supported back squat mm. and then people are like oh what you like you know i said like you don't realize i'm using it as an intent to move faster and to move a heavy load i could not move that if i went slow yeah so the intent there was for me to to like massively overload my back squat like 20 kilos 25 kilos more than I've ever squatted before. To a full range as well, because you could do yeah. like a squat, but it wouldn't be the same because it's not full range. So that's the other yeah. thing. And, that, and, and the hand support for me, obviously, with my, my history of back issues where I've, I've broke my back and stuff, it allowed me to really push that to a limit. Whereas before with a back squat, I'd always be slightly tentatively holding back. So I really pushed myself. And then the, the domino effect from that is like, nothing felt heavy for three weeks because nothing felt as horrid as that. So it's like, it's like, no matter what I was moving at the time or catching in cleans or power cleans or this, that and the other, it was, it was a, a massive step in the right direction. So I just think it's one of these things. It's um, very much so in my next programming and, and other bits and pieces that I'm moving forward, I'm going to be using a hell of a lot of pep, a hell of a lot of overload work with a safety squat bar when I've got people that need to use it. The, the bands is something that I definitely want to run out with people because I, I fundamentally if it can make someone as old and decrepit and like average lifter as myself, ironically move faster. What in fuck's name is this going to do to someone who could potentially be an elite lifter? Someone who's actually naturally faster can pull that. It would be very, very interesting to trial it with someone who's on the cusp of hitting a bit of a plateau that needs to be pushed a bit further because that's the other thing I've, I've noticed. It's the, the banded pull got me from, even though in lockdown I snatched 130, like the banded pulls have made 130 feel so stupidly light and manageable that it's it's not even a nine times out of ten you you used to know what I'd be like I'd talk myself out of doing stuff. Mm. Now like I don't need to I'm ready like the, the, the everything was moving so bloody well it just flew up so but yeah like I say for, for me the, the, the bands I think have been more effective on pulls yeah um, chains I don't I try. I, Chains I've got in the garden, and if I, I'm going to be bringing them down to HQ, but I wanted to try them with chains. But the problem with chains was obviously the falling of the chain when you've got it on the bar can often get back in the way if you're trying to do multiple reps, especially for, if you're doing it from a pull perspective for us. Yeah. But the um, the banded system I used very much was was a was a massive game changer, massive massive game changer for me. So, but I'm, I'm excited to to run it again as another cycle alongside some banded pep work so people don't know what pep is but the best way to describe it is that 
you overload the bar for a pull for a double and then you would rest 30 to 40 seconds minimum um take the extra weight off and then attempt the lift so it'd be almost like a weight releases for like squats it's a very yeah. similar concept to that so um and funny enough i don't know if you've seen it or not there's um i've been seeing a lot of the americans doing it a lot of spencer arnold athletes i know that travis marshall like absolutely was just, like, obsessed at one point like he really travis, just, like... travis took it to another level but i've been weirdly seeing catherine is it catherine nye or kate nye she's been doing a lot of um overload work in the squat you've seen her back in her home gym before they went to the base camp yeah she had uh mike tone and dimas in yeah. her garage and she was doing uh eccentric squats and then whipping 25s off and standing yeah. up really quickly so yeah. there's there's a load of different things with jerk pap work um snatch and clean paps uh i want to play around with a few other bits and pieces as well with um heavily eccentric front squats with the same thing pulling the weight off to pins so there's going to be some fun things coming from my way about a lot of this stuff because I, I truly believe uh like masters lifters as well like myself there's a way where we can we can't train like normal people to a certain extent so if we can play around with this and find ways to make ourselves faster quicker faster stronger in a slightly different modality that's not going to fuck us up as much that's going to be the big thing and that's the one big caveat that i took from the banded pulls if i'd run my snatching, my cleaning jerks, my squats and my pulls as per normal, I'd have been in bits. Yeah. Whereas going into these last two competitions, because of what I'd done and had done it with bands, I was recovering better than I ever had. So it's, it's, it's quite an interesting one by just playing with a different training modality, how it affected me. So again, apply this onto someone like Stefano or you or something like that. It could, it could yeah. just fucking let, break you through a, a plateau that you've been trying to get through. Yeah, and I, and I think as well, it's like looking at it as like the whole overload thing. It's a case of like, I think most people think of like, they always think about like overloading. I'm going to do the heavier pulls, like heavier front and back squats to try and overload so that like obviously you're stronger for the Olympic lifts because that's what the purpose of those movements is. But not only is it a case if you don't have to do those lifts exactly like that, like the only lifts we have to do is snatch and clean and jerks a competition. Like if you're being really, really pernickety about it, like that's the only thing you're required to do for the sport is weigh in and do snatch clean and jerks. So anything else you do as long as it works for you doesn't matter and i think there's that whole thing where like if you imagine that like the um training and the effectiveness of it is like a big like dartboard the middle the bullseye that's optimal you're rarely ever going to fucking hit that unless you're a professional athlete and you've been training for years and you've got like a savant for a coach like so a, a prime example would be like ben johnson and charlie francis yeah. like i got to a point where charlie would do stuff that he couldn't really explain to someone he just said that's just what works that's just what we do and like with a lot of his stuff was probably as close to optimal as you're going to get but each one of those rings you go outwards in terms of on like the dartboard where it gets easier and easier to hit, that's still effective. It's just not as effective as optimal, but it's still effective. And I think that's what a lot of people don't realise for Masters lifts is it's like, I've got um, a guy who I've inherited off of another coach who basically was like, you have to snatch a clean jerk every session, otherwise there's no point or you're not doing weightlifting. And because he was a master, it beat him up. But because we just did snatch and jerk, power cleans, and then snatch and clean and jerk on the day at the end of the week, instead of doing it so much, he's progressed, he's gotten stronger, and he doesn't feel depressed about training. And it's that case of you just need to do what is effective and realistic for you at the time. Like for me, what would be the most effective? It would probably uh, most optimal. It'd probably be for me to snatch and clean and jerk four or five days a week in some format and squat quite often, pull quite often. Or would I be happy doing that? No, I'd be bored to shit. Um, at this very moment in time, the things I would do to make that optimal wouldn't work. So what's effective for me at the moment? Doing what I'm doing now. Yeah. As long as it's being effective, I think it's fine. I think the whole thing about masters as well is that um, if you look at like powerlifters where you're looking at absolute strength, most of them don't peak when they're 25. They mm. peak very much later on. If you're looking at weightlifting as being a strength, as a, a sport that is 
governed by strength if you can get stronger into your uh, into your 30s and even into your 40s i might not you might not hit like a world record in snatch or clean jab but it does still suggest you can progress in some ways like with your back injuries and with your age most people would argue you shouldn't really be able to do weightlifting but you can and you lift more than most people like you snatch more than most people are ever going to snatch you know what i mean so it's the whole thing of that should at least stand to reason that either your genetics are amazing and they're absolutely out this world and they're just ridiculous or you've worked really hard and you've been smart and you found what is effective for you even if it's not optimal on the big in the whole weightlifting theory world where everyone has to do the same super special program yeah man you, you, you've nailed that to be truthfully honest it's, it's one of those things but it's um again i just I, I always laugh and giggle now and i think ash does as well he's like our sort of to go to with a lot of these bands and chain stuff it's like it doesn't work well I'm, I, I hate to say it now like it does <laughs> and mm. it's it's not it's nothing that particularly fucking like out of the, this world with programming for it it's, it's very simple just a very linear progression with the, with the raw weight and just six doubles two minutes rest between each one done mm. and it's made me faster it's made me stronger it's improved my core strength it's increased my back strength. It's like there's been so many benefits to just running pulls. But no, and and to make sure to let everyone know that I would never personally attempt a banded full snatch or clean or power clean or power snatch because the one thing I have noticed with the the pull, because I'm cutting it, obviously, I wasn't even doing my normal panda pulls. I was doing a very traditional get up on your toes, extend and try and make yourself as tall as possible. The minute the bar reached its peak, the bands are trying mm. to tear themselves into the ground. So if you're not fast enough to get underneath that bar, that you are going to change the bar path and you're going to get hurt. So at no point did I try to do a full lift because I, yeah. I, I, don't, I don't think that will cross over. But the banded poles were ridiculous. Well, I have noticed that most, I've noticed that anyone who's done the full lift, it's with, you know, those really thin yellow bands, like the ones that basically you... There's no point having them on the bar. Yeah, like those ones, that's the only thing I've noticed. And I think it was like, um, it was some of the guys who went to Westside, I think it was like James Tatum and some of Travis Masters lot, and they did some snatch work with it. I just said it was so, it was just so odd to do it with that it was good to like kind of get a concept of, ah, here's how I actually pull under the bar a bit faster because the band's making me. But it wasn't that kind of thing where it'd be a scalable exercise that you try to progress. Like I don't really know, well, I think the only conceivable way I can think of making it safe to do snatches with the bands would be to use very thin yellow ones. And to do it off blocks because at least you get saved by the blocks if it drops but that's even that's not really great i've done power cleans with bands before and that was a, a, a horrific experience because i think the first one i tried to do at the empty bar and basically just i thought i, I thought i took my nipples off mate because it just scraped down my chest I think the, the 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 only way that i would the way that i would looking at it and it was one of the overload programs i was going to look at but i'm still writing and, and, and i'm in knowing ideas about it I think the only way you could put a band on a lift and continue to make it look like a lift without it drastically changing bar path would be if you could potentially reverse band it. Mm. And then you would potentially use, let's say, 100% of your 1RM snap or clean off the floor. And obviously with the band rising and pulling the bar up, it would decelerate the bar. Sorry, it would, it would deload the bar. But I, I truly believe, and when it, there's, there's some, if people want to watch the videos, let us know. I'll, I'll send them to you. But there's some great videos of the guys from Barbell Shrugged going over to Westside with Louis Simmons, and he's got them sitting on chairs doing banded pull, uh, banded powers, and other bits and pieces like that. But I, I do, I do fall into the camp that the the band will change your bar path after the pulling phase, regardless. Like you, you'd have to, you'd, you'd have to be flawless. Your technique would have to be flawless. To get to get to get the right. full uh, out of it from my perspective, but 
on the polls, on PAP, on things like that, where one of the systems I want to try after the competition is banded PAP, where you wouldn't use the weight being released. You would take the bands off mm. and then attempt the lift. I personally think that will be a bit of a game changer as well. If you can then put it into the right modality, into the right training program and to, to get someone to peak for it. And I know Travis used PAP mostly for his guys that were in competition to keep them sort of in a ready state before getting out mm. onto the platform. So it'll be, it'll be interesting. But I also, like I say, I think you're going to start to see now, especially because of what's gone on with the sport and the cleaner side of things, I think we're going to start seeing a lot more teams using velocity-based trackers. I think the the American the American nationals, the all the Olympians that were going, or the, the, the American lifters that were going to the Hawaii camp, if you look at some of the video footage, they were putting on a uh, Flex Stronger VBT tracker. On mm. other lifts. So I think you're going to start seeing that a lot more, especially with America where Spencer Arnold's very much built a lot of his stuff around velocity. And I just think you're going to start to see some really cool different ways of attacking stuff because it's not going to be able to just put yourself in the bin anymore mm. because, you're just, because, because you're just not going to be able to get away with taking the drugs. Yeah. You can't just, just push your way through it. You're going to actually have to taper in, taper out. And especially with the way that depending on how they deal with qualification for the olympics for for, uh, for for paris yeah you've got guys and girls there that like we said before are going to be potentially having to peak six seven times yeah it's either that or like do you reckon they'll count some of this you know because they kind of overlap do you reckon they'll count this weird four and a half they'll do, a, they'll do a three they'll do a three-year focus and that'll be it there'll be no and what i think the sad thing is i i, I think moving forward that they should have a the year after the Olympics should be deemed as a year off. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. I think after, after that year off, if you want, you've then got a three-year window to qualify. Yeah, because maybe, right now, I don't see a lot of lifters getting a lot of time off. Yeah. Like I think, I think the, maybe, maybe you have it as an official year off, but you can still go and compete and do whatever. And maybe you're available. For, maybe you're on Adams or, you, or whatever your version of Adams oh, is in another country. The way I would word it to them would be like, right, you give the guys that have competed at the Olympics the opportunity to have a year off from competing but yet they're still available for testing if they're fine and they want to lift it's not not, not like the like the, the head injury thing where like you, you you test someone off because they've got concussion but like you go look you don't have to lift now for the next year stay training stay on top of it but no competitions for the rest of the year because you've just gone through an olympic cycle mm. uh, otherwise if you force it and this, this is the, the the i know we're sidetracking slightly here this is the problem with it if they make it a compulsory year they will have to train and turn up to competition. So where is your respite? Where is your recovery? Where is bits and pieces from there? So by giving yeah. them the guys who have just come back from the Olympics, like, right, here's your year off. We, we, we start, everyone starts again after year, after year one. So year two into the Olympic training cycle is when point scoring years happen that are going to be valid for Roby points if that's the way to go forward. But we're still going to have a world, we're still going to have a Europeans, but they're not going to be scored. So mm. you don't you don't have to lift it, but you still have to present for drug testing within your own country. And yeah. if they decide to do it, but that's my thing now. I think it's because these teams and countries aren't going to be able to dope their lifters as much and keep them clean. So I keep them trying to keep them clean to, to pass tests. I just I just don't see where you're gonna you're gonna have to give them time to recover. I just don't see where the recovery time's coming in. If that makes sense. Yeah, I don't understand it either. I think it's a case You're of going to yeah. train at that kind of intensity. You, yeah. There has to be a yin to the yang. Like right. we said just before we came online, like 
I did those, I did all those online comps leading up to the to the British virtual. And I, to be truthfully honest, that literally the next uh, we done it when I done the Scottish. I literally done the Scottish. I came in the next day and trained with you lot and PB my power clean because I didn't really push to a maximal effort. But at the British, I hit lifetime PBs on both lifts, and I was in the fucking bin for two weeks. Mm. My body just literally tapped out on me. So it's like, and these guys are lifting to an even higher level. So it's like, where do you give these elite athletes their time to recover? Yeah, and I understand that he's like a different case. Obviously, he was probably detoxing from drugs as well to give himself a break. Like Ilya Ilin took a year off. It took well back then. He didn't like back then. He took more than a year off. He took two years off. Yes, after London. He did the 94s. He took pretty much two years off and he started to come back in then because the way the point scoring system worked, you could field your B team lifters for the entire four-year qualification. They were still ridiculously good Kazakhstan lifters. So they were still still, cause, still core, scoring a number of points to get you your allotted slots. And then if you wanted to go to the Olympics, in the last qualification window for the Olympics, all you had to do was lift at three events. You had to post a total that was deemed competition um, a standard. Mm. Uh, you had to then go to three events that were available for drug testing. And then Kazakhstan decided what lifters to take. So as long as you've done those things, you were fine. Whereas now it's so athlete driven and you have to go to so many events and you have to at least weigh in at these ones and, and compete and do this. And then the onus is put on you to score the points. I just, I just don't want to see a lot of like weightlifters in general burning out because they're going to be forced to compete so many fucking times. Yeah, that's yeah. the new president now. It's not beforehand. It was two years, two years to qualify, get yourself ready for the Olympics. Now yeah. it's not, it's, it's a four year qualification process of which you've got to compete. Was it two to three times in each window? Yeah. I think it is. Well, it's, I think there's like, um, I think it's a case of, um, uh, yeah, it's a case of you. I think you had to compete in you had to compete in each period. But I think it was um you had to put a certain amount of point a certain amount of points up. You had a certain amount of competitions you could just weigh in at. But I can't remember what it was per period. I feel like it was like one per period. So like one point you could, period, you, could do, you could do like you so lift one, sit out one, lift one, sit out one, lift one, sit out, and so on and so forth. But I don't know if you could spread that across all the periods. So no, Lasher basically just had a bunch of comps where he showed up, weighed in, didn't lift, or could have. Anyway. Uh, he he. To be fair, he lifted at near enough all of them. Um, but there was other lifters that didn't. There was other lifters that turned up, like um, a Rom now done it a couple of times, and a few other people and stuff like that, where they go, oh, "I'm just going to weigh in." Where's Kit's done it a number of times at like meets he actually had to go to that he didn't need to, like he had to go and present himself but didn't lift. But that's a good loophole to have to sort of allow you to deal with injuries or recovery. But yeah, again, I think, my, my... I think it also stand to reason that it's like if you've got lifters who are basically going to go, but they're not necessarily going to do as good as let's say Lasher is. So I think you'd reason that they're not lifting as heavy. So maybe their recovery is going to be easier because the absolute load they're lifting isn't going to be as heavy. Do you then allow them to gather Roby points by just competing as much as they want? But then you also have the rule of you need to do a minimum of this many weigh-ins. Like, so you have to weigh in and show up to these competitions, but you just need a certain amount of points. Yeah. And that's it. It's, it's an interesting one. But like I say, I think the, 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 the one thing that I think that will be prevalent potentially from a lot of these athletes, depending on how the system goes forward, and hope well now they've got the the means with Sarah being the chairperson and uh, Forrest being the, the the second person is athlete burnout and I, I do think that's going to be the next thing I think it's a good case of unless they change some fundamental things within those qualification processes we're going to see a lot of like what we spoke about in the last one where I turned around and said you've got a lot of funneling into different weight classes yeah 
where people are loading up because it's easier to lift heavier and then take your points down than it is to go lighter and then take your points up. And then all of a sudden you've got a funneling effect of so many other people. And because of the restrictions on how many people can go to Tokyo, they then reduce from 10 to seven. You've got another tunneling effect of that. So I just think it's um, it's shooting itself in its foot by doing it in certain ways a little bit still. But the whole Roby point system is such... I think it's the way forward. I think it's a great thing. It just needs a little bit more time and thought. Yeah, no, I, to, I agree with that. To just to just to improve it, it just needs to it just needs to level up every year and make things a little bit more. Because like, I think we, we spoke about it before. It's like, should you be allowed to take your points from another weight class down or up with you? Because yeah. if you look at like some people, like, and the other thing that like, there's a reason why like Harrison, Maris, and CJ are where they are, is because. And I don't. I don't. This might be quite controversial to a, a subject that might be. They got given a certain amount of bonus rugby points because they broke junior world records, so they got a thousand point bonuses for breaking junior world records. And Lasher got a thousand points for breaking senior world records. I personally think a senior world record is more important than a junior. Yeah, I get what they're doing. They're trying to. They're trying to encourage like. They're, they're trying to encourage you know participation in the sport and being good. As you as you go out, like what we were saying before, where it's like because weightlifting, it's like it takes a long time to be good. Yeah. Like the incentive, if you're a lost, a really good junior lifter, but you're it's going to take you ages to be a good senior. It takes a while. Do you know what I mean? But my point is this: is like they've managed to do junior world records in their weight classes. This and take those points and rank themselves. I still think you should yeah. get a bonus point for being a junior world record holder. It shouldn't be the same as a senior world record. Yeah. And then you look at Catherine Nye, and I think it's. Maddie Rogers, Matty Rogers, they've jumped up and down different weight classes. So you can all all of a sudden, like you can potentially break a world record in X weight class, but the world record in your weight class is not even a touch touchable a thing. So you instantly jump up so many places because you can go to the weight class above and somehow sneak a world record or a junior world record, then come back down again. Do you know what I mean? So there's a few little bits and pieces where I think they need to look at the the allocation of points and make it a little bit fairer. Yeah. I just don't think, I think you should almost, I think we said it, it's like when we were, we were walking away from Whit one afternoon, it was like, if you're going to, I think you should put your flag out at the beginning of the, the, the Olympic cycle, right? I'm going to be a 109, but it's going to be times where I'm going to compete as a plus 109 because it's not healthy for me to drop my weight down or let's say 102 and a 109. The times I compete as a 109, but I put my flag out as a 102. Yeah. Um, I shouldn't be allowed to bring those points down. Yeah, I, can, I should only. I'll, I'll go and compete at the 109s for drug testing and everything else like that. But yeah. whatever points I score in the 102 category, that's the category I am. They're my Olympic qualification. I, I think that then cuts off a lot of people because obviously, like Mohammed Ehab, for example, I've heard again. Like I can't remember if it was in the interview did for all things, but reading that he used to cut like a horrendous amount of weight and just said that because he was used to water cutting, he could do it and that he could perform well, he just wouldn't do very often. If you're asking someone to constantly compete at 77 to be good and to be to go to the Olympics, if it's Ehab or if it's, um, sorry, it's um, 81 or Lu Jajun or whoever's going to take over from Lu Jajun next, um, fair, because they're probably going to have to do that many competitions. But if you are Chris Murray in the next Olympic cycle and you're going to have to do seven or eight competitions in that period, are you really going to make him cut to 81 every single time? And then stunt his growth in terms of not his his physical. Oh, no, I'm not saying I'm not saying like you should force them. But I think it yeah, needs to. Be- I think it's that whole thing where you almost implicitly do force them because if they know they need the points, they're not going to compete in the 89s just to get drug tested. You're going to go down. So I think that maybe you do it where 
even if you have to set up something very cumbersome that would be hard to set up, but then would be quite smooth to run, as in you get, you have to have like a Sinclair um, regulator. So if you go and do a competition 89 96, but you're going to do it as an 81, it's going to add to your points as an 81. It has to be adjusted for what you would have got if you're an 81. Do you know what I mean? So if you're an 81, yeah. you cut down to it and you normally do, I don't fucking know. Um, let's say you normally do like 300, 305. And then you go up into 89 or even being a light 96 in one of the qualification periods three years out and you do 315. That has to be adjusted to what you would get when you would be 81. And then you could do it that way. I think you just need to give people the opportunity to gather points as, mo- as well as they can whilst staying healthy, even if it's a case of some people aren't actually going to be a proper super or actually struggle to get up to one or not. So it, an, in- an instance would be like both Nicola and Ed Smale are two examples where they weighed in quite light for their weight classes and they had to eat up into it. You can go one up or one down and get points. You can't go two up or two down. I think that would yeah. be one of the best ways of doing it. I think you can maybe penalise people and say, you won't get as many points. There'll be a points adjustment for the fact you've gone into a different weight class because yeah. you're not going to do all of them there because you know you need to grab some points in your actual weight that's, class. That's, see, that's what I mean more. Is at, the end, at the end of the day, there has to be, it's an unfair advantage because I think the rules stipulated that the fact being that you only had to compete in the weight class once out of the whole qualification process I might be wrong with that but the, if you were, if you competed as a, a 109 for the entire thing and you did two competitions as a 102 and you bring your points down you then become competitive at 102 so this, I don't think it's fair if you've done like you see some of these other lifters have, have competed the majority of their time in a heavier weight class and then they've brought it down and then all of a sudden they're at the top of the list so I just think I just think that's unfair to the other guys that have sat there in that class all the way through. So I just think there's there's a lot of good, but there's also a lot of bad with the the way that the Roby system's I running. When you get it though, like who's the people who have stayed in their weight class? So prime ones would be um, Quo from Chinese Taipei. I think she only did a few competitions at 64 when she's competing competing as a 58, and those were like she weighed 60. Do you know what I mean? It wasn't very far, and I don't think she did many of those competitions. She did one leading into the Olympics, but she's out and out far ahead of everyone else especially now that Tom oh, yeah. is in that weight class um when you look at the people in the higher weight classes who has not stayed who was who, who stayed in their weight class the whole thing Deng Wei for his example I think then who didn't stay in their weight class the whole thing Matty Rogers Jenny Arthur Matt and um Kat Kat and I. why because it's like if they stay in their weight class not only they're gonna have to cut their competitions are harder and they're not gonna get as many points so a lot of the time I think it makes it so you know when you have like the um what is it that I remember rugby used to call it, and when I think about it now, it's not very nice. It was like, um, was it? Um, it was something in minnows. It was like sharks and minnows, or something like that. Do you remember when they used to call like the smaller nations like minnows, like the minnow nations and stuff? Like when you have like lifters who are basically they they're, they're going to be mid to bottom of the of the of the table, but they they want to qualify, they want to go to this Olympics. I think that's what, what's giving them a chance is being able to play the game a little bit, and that's what's also oh, making it a little it's, bit it's the age old like rule of thumb, mate. Don't hate the player, hate the game. Mm you've written the rules out and everyone's been incredibly clever and they've gone, oh, right, so we don't need to do X, Y, Z. We only need to do this and this, that, and you can take this. When you look at like that, oh, you don't have to do this competition. You can weigh in for this one. Yeah. When the IWF set the rules out for the rugby point system, it, there was a lot left to interpretation. Mm. I think moving forward to the next qualification window, I just think there's a lot that is still left in, a, in a, an interpretative state. I think a few things just need to be tidied up and cleared up. Yeah. Like, and just, just for the well, well-being that, like, I, I personally think, I don't know how other people feel about it, we're getting robbed of so many lifters because of this tunnelling effect where 
their weight class isn't in it and this, that and the other, or they've had to go up and down. And because X, Y, Z has gone up, sorry, gone down a weight class with the points from the following one, the top lifters from there have been dropped down and they're not now, they can't go because that Chinese lifter outranks that Chinese lifter. So she can't go to the Olympics now. Do you know what I mean? So I think everything's just a little bit sort of like, it's good. It's screwed over a few people. The continental slots have screwed over a few people. Do you know what I mean? So I just think everything's just a little bit in its early doors stage and it just needs a lot of clarification and a lot more thought yeah. before we go into the next com- the next qualification window. I, I, to- think, I think it's that case of like, you just need a bit more, it needs to be a bit more nuanced. It needs to be smoother because obviously the thing about the CrossFit game stuff was, you know, where they went, okay, we're now calling it sanctionals. You're now going to have a continental spot, an open spot, and then basically just the continental spots and open spots and then a national spot. So basically one person from each country plus a continental spot and then plus um, an open spot. And it created a lot of, like it was engineered controversy. Oh, who's going to get this continental spot? Oh, if this guy drops out, is this person going to go? Who's going to win this? Like, do you know what I mean? It creates drama. And I think that a lot of the stuff that like Seb, for example, on Weightlifting House covered, there wouldn't be as many debates and exciting things to talk about if we didn't have these rules. 100%. Do you know what I mean? I think that's what makes it exciting is the case that like you've got continental spots, you've got... um which has actually helped out a lot of people. You've got different you've got different ways that you can qualify. I think making them clearer is just going to be that. But I mean, to be fair, the IWF was so short-sighted that, you know, like most mobs, like if you go to like New York and you go to like, you know, and you look at like the typical like Italian like mobster film, they always have like a deli or they have like a dry cleaners that they run their business through. When, you, when you've got a crime syndicate that doesn't even have a front, their, their front for crime is crime. I think yeah. you're hoping for a bit much when you want them to have a solid set of rules. It's like any other company, let's say, if you have like a mob boss somewhere, it's like, right, mate, we, we've gotten caught three times. We've got to go legit. It's like, right, well, we'll have to run this restaurant we actually have. Whereas the IWF, it's like, okay, we're going to have to do this thing properly. It's like, well, what did we do to get proper money before? Uh, we did crime. So can we do crime again? No, we can't do crime. So, so what do we do instead? I don't know. Do you know what I mean? It's just like that. that, oh, that mate, the, whole, the, whole, the whole thing needs <laughs> to be performed, but I think it's it's it's... It's going in the right way, a little bit more thought process, some younger minds, some better business-led <laughs> minds, and we'll we'll start to push forward and start seeing some lights at the end of the tunnel. But like I say, it's just um, the, the, the stupid thing is it needs to be sorted out sooner rather than later because what I can see right now, they can't even get in the same room and vote a board in at that level, <laughs> let alone sit down and have a chat about the next qualification process because... I just, I just can see a lot of really good work being undone if we're not careful, mm. and, 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 and it's unfortunate. Yeah, I still, I still think that one of the best things, potentially the best opportunities for weightlifting to grow as a sport, could be for it to be out of the Olympics. I also think that would be one of the worst things financially to happen to the elites. I think for grassroots and mid-level um, lifters, coaches, and companies such as ourselves would probably be better off without it. But I think for people who cover the elite side of things, well, like weightlifting house. Um, and things would, and all things gym would suffer because there won't be as much to cover but I think long term I, like, I think they would if you think about it the Olympics is one event yeah every four years I think this, that's the sad thing it's like any other sport like um, what would this example be so sprinting is Olympic centric it's, it's centred around the Olympics everyone wants to know what Usain Bolt's going to hit in four years time when he was sprinting same as Shelley Ann Fraser the, the build up was around the Olympics same as Rugby internationally is not, it's good to watch international rugby, but everyone looks at the All Blacks when they lose the year after the World Cup and they say, oh my God, the All Blacks have lost it. And everyone goes, well, well no, they're building towards the next World Cup because that's the big event. They don't care about everything else. And, you know, there's always that one tournament, whereas with football, they don't care about the Olympics that much, which is why I think it's under 23 and it has those rules around it because it is very much a 
it's a, it's a side it's a side event compared to the World Cup. Oh, yes, yeah, completely agree. Um, I think what you got to look at the waitlisting though is that it's like the Olympics is once every four years, usually. Um, present sort of situation aside, mm. but then if you look at the amount of events that are still happening that will continue to happen, mm. Commonwealth Games will still happen. The yeah. Oceanic Games, the Pan American Games, like all these other things where weightlifting is quite prevalent, that it won't be took out of them. It's just the Olympics. So you're talking about one event out of how many a year? Yeah. And I just wonder. But it's just the fact being we hold that at such a at such a pedestal. And that's the thing. I wonder if if it stops being if we come out of the Olympics, will it still be held on that pedestal or will it get taken off? Because like with like rugby or football, even with sevens being in the Olympics, there's still the IRB seven circuit, which does have its own merit. Like it is a it is a respected oh, yeah. series like across the world. And it runs differently to the Olympics because it is literally a tournament rather than just the, the just the Olympics across like two or three days. So I do wonder, is it going to harm it because we don't because you know that whole pedestal the Olympics is on isn't replaced with Worlds, for example, which I think it should be, personally, because that's like the more regular tournament you get to see. It's just weightlifting, and that should be it for the sport, whereas the Olympics is something that is really great, but it's the but it's the cherry on top of the cake, not the whole cake, whereas at the moment I feel like that is it, like the cherry on top of the, 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 the whole cake and the cherry is the Olympics, which is why we're called Olympic weightlifting. I'm not just weightlifting that is in the Olympics. Like that's the, the name. I, I just I just put it to like, like something that's going on recently in a minute. It's, it's like the Lions series. It's something every four years that's special that we all strive to be or want to be part of or want to do. But if it didn't happen, like, would rugby still continue? Of course it would. If if if, if weightlifting got took out of the Olympics, would it still continue? 100% it would. It would just, it would just change its focus slightly. Um, but I, I, I think we'll be all right. We'll still be, we'll still be in the Olympics for next, next one. And hopefully by Paris, in theory, everything should be a lot better than it already is yeah. now. So oh, it's like, or they reduce the spots again. And uh, instead of having it, you know, like the vacuum where it's like, there's yeah. the Olympics, it happens where the IWF slowly gets better. Then we're still pushed out the Olympics as it happens. I think but you have the reform so that <laughs> only pushed out and then we can adjust to it. I think the worst thing to happen would be we find out tomorrow that you're out of the Olympics for the next one. And then we're like, oh, fuck. And we also don't have any IWF reform. So then, you know, you have nothing in place. Whereas if you have IWF reform, but you're not in the Olympics, it kind of saves it. If you don't have IWF reform yet, but you're in the Olympics, you have that you have that thing there to, to, to keep it stable. From my understanding, though, like originally before the issues with drugs and bits of music, the weightlifting was restricted, was was told after Rio that they were going to have numbers took away from them, just just for the also for the fact being that the size of the Tokyo Olympics was like the smallest one in God knows how many years. Mm. So you couldn't ha a lot of sports got numbers took away from them because. The sheer fact being is like you couldn't accommodate for everyone doing these, these sports, whereas London and Rio were such massive places, it was a little bit easier. So I wouldn't be surprised if you think like with Paris that the system might change and they might go, right, you're going to get 10 lifters this time because there's more accommodation. It's easier for you to do it versus a little space in Japan called Tokyo. So I think it was more to do with that. And then I might be wrong with this, but then obviously all the drugs bits and pieces came in and it became more about you're going to lose all your spots unless you sort fucking this out. And I think they try to use that as a, as a tool to try and get people to step up and actually sort their shit out. So, yeah. but yeah, I think as well, it's a case of like, when you look at most professional sports, 
it's just a case of like there is this doping like in no professional sports but whether you would like to think your sport is clean or not there is doping in it and like if you look at the doping sanctions i bet you there's very few sports if any that have never had doping sanctions in them at all so crossfit mate there's no drugs in crossfit oh no of course not <laughs> They, they could ne- they could never be they could never be they will absolutely shredded and have very very big very very big muscles and abs for no apparent reason other than they train and eat very well um take private testing <laughs> well yeah well that's a whole fucking different issue as well but i mean with the whole doping it's a case of, i think weightlifting because it's more of a minority sport it's easier to pick on and appear like you're hard on drugs whereas if you start looking into sprinting and you actually start banning a lot of people. We're, we're the scapegoat. We're we're 100% the, right. The original scapegoat was cycling. Yeah. And then cycling started to actually get somewhere where like everyone's like, oh, velodrome cycling is this really good. And then like, the emphasis kind of came off, off of them. And then you look at track and field, the IAAF I, I, could not afford for Usain Bolt to have a positive drug test. Yeah. It would, it would cripple the sport. It would kill it. He, they, they can't afford it to happen. So it's one of these things. I'm not saying he has, but at the end of the day, there's certain people in the sport that always got covered and, and looked after, regardless of anything else like that. Leading into one of the, I think it was the LA Olympics, half the American team tested fucking positive. They took one third of that, swept it under the carpet, which were their top end, the top end athletes, mm-hmm. and the rest all got told they can't go. So mm-hmm. it's like there's, there's, there's these flagship sports that will always be protected and there'll be bits and pieces we will never find out yeah. a little, little old weightlifting wrestling all these other ones they're like we'll, we'll just we'll just i know it's a conspiracy theory but like we will be used as a scapegoat yeah i think it's that whole thing of like other sports have a, a scapegoat athlete so ben johnson was a good example like if you watch bigger stronger faster you see that like there's enough reasonable information there to be like mm, this doesn't seem right yeah yeah, in, in, in now it's like Sherry uh, Sherry Richardson. The Sherry Richardson? Have I got that wrong? The Nate. Um the hundred meter sprinter who got done for weed. Is it Sherry? Shikari. Fuck's sake, Shikari Richardson. So she's a good example. There's gonna be a lot of athletes who are taking stuff, but they found her with something and it's like this is our one big band we can make. Same as Ricky Gerard in CrossFit. Like you can't tell me that the rest of that podium or the rest of the athletes who went to the CrossFit Games, there wasn't another single drug taker apart from Rick, apart from Ricky Gerard. But he's the one that they caught, and he's the one that uses a scapegoat. And maybe it's because he wasn't as well liked. Maybe it's because he wasn't as famous. So this kid who's come from nowhere, who should actually get his dues, if you're looking at all a lot more of them taking drugs, they do him because it's a scapegoat. Whereas the weightlifting is the whole thing's a scapegoat. Yeah, you're right, and it's it's. it's... It's sad, but like the more you look at it, the more truth you do see in that, which is which is which is sad. But again, they're not they'll kick us out, but yet they'll still allow certain sports to come through, like fucking break dancing. Yeah, and like, like there's a lot of sports that I'm just sitting there thinking, God, what the hell are you letting through now? Mm-hmm. It's just like I know I know you I know you've got a lot of demonstration sports that'll only be in f- for one turn of a game. Yeah, next games they'll be straight out again, but they. You can't take away the, the the basic fundamental demonstration of strength and power. Yeah, I think they'd have to then replace it with another one, which would with powerlifting they would struggle, especially if they didn't get rid of one of the lifts. Powerlifting would t- just take all day. It would do. It would. It would. It, it, they'd get through it, but it'd be it would be literally a weight class a day. Yeah, yeah. I think you'd have to. I think you'd have to change it too much. So you'd probably have to make it so that there it's not a flight; it's a rising bar, and you would have to change it too much to the point where like you'd have lifters who especially in like the heavier weight classes who don't normally medal, who probably medal, but it's because their conditioning's a bit better maybe. But I, be, I personally think, and, and I, I, I truly think that powerlifting should be allowed in the Olympics. 
I think it would get, it would make the strength side of the sport more interesting mm. to see the different variations of like speed strength versus absolute strength. Mm. But the problem with powerlifting, and I, I hate to sort of say this to our powerlifting friends, because I think you guys are amazing. You've, you've fucked, you fucked you fucked your own sport. Like you've given it so many different derivatives of what it is geared non-geared this that monolift da, 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 da. there's so many different variations of it now it's, it's become so diluted yeah but I think that's the same with, like, um, it's the same as boxing it's very confusing to watch boxing because you see like oh someone's unifying the titles and then you just go wait but wait titles i thought there's one title but there's not there's not one title there's world titles and there's the same with like um MMA at the moment. So there's UFC and there's one championship and they used to be K1. There was another one in that, I can't remember what it's called. Oh, there still is. There's, there's like five or six of them, mate. But the UFC have got with a monopoly. That's the difference. So the UFC yeah. will always be deemed as the Olympics for MMA. Yeah. That, is, that is literally the gold standard. Everything else underneath it is a little bit less. So where you've got like, um, the, there's a couple of European and this, that and the other, they're always going to be like that feeder league term. Mm. But yeah, you, you, your, your, other, your other way of describing it was actually more on point. So it's, it's but the, again with powerlifting it's just like you, you fucked it for yourself like you have tested non-tested so straight away you're gonna you're gonna piss off wada straight away you're you're allowing one and sometimes in the same fucking competition i, I took some of my powerlifters that i was coaching and they were doing a tested and non-tested federation at the same time mm. so you've got hang on you've got all these guys and girls going through the same flights together some of them are competing tested some of them are competing not like you're, you're never that's never going to pass <laughs> you could you could imagine sort of like georgia going up to water and going right we're going to run the georgian nationals for weightlifting this year but we're going to have some, one side of it's going to be tested one side's not going to be tested mm. we're all going to lift together like well, well, well then who who what, how's that work it just doesn't work oh and also what we're going to do we're going to start letting people wearing squat briefs for snatching and cleans it's like well hang on what what, what line do you draw there right it's going to be before you know it it'll be like people walking out like eddie hall did his and i and i hate to call it this because it was a pull it's not a deadlift it's a strongman deadlift it's not the world's heaviest deadlift in the world because he's using straps yeah um the guy done it in a squat brief squat suit two belts on well neoprene belt then another levered belt all these other bits and then figure of eight straps that if you actually look at it properly he's not even gripping the bar yeah. The straps have looped onto his, and I, I will say this because I've met the man, his hands are enormous. Mm. So I've got big hands, but this is ridiculous when he shook my hand. I felt like a child. Um, these these straps are hanging off his hands. And you look at a lot of these guys who use these figure eight gloves, their straps, they're not even gripping onto the bar, but then you've got this other division and another division. So I would personally like to see powerlifting. I think if in the Paralympics we can have bench press, there's no reason why we couldn't have bench press as a test event. Yeah. And then go from there and then potentially run it as like bench and deadlift because yeah. like we kind of cover squatting in olympic lifting so. yeah and i think as well like bench and de- like some people don't understand how you can squat as much as you do in terms of mobility aspect whereas like everyone can pretty much bench and deadlift like it takes a lot for someone to not be able to bench not be able to deadlift even to a even to a certain degree so i think that would make more sense in my mind anyway like bench and deadlift i reckon you'd probably find more people who would be able to bench and deadlift in a worse state like in terms of mobility wise and like injury wise, and you would be able who could squat and bench, I think. Plus, I think like to a certain extent as well, like tonight when I was training, like people were looking at me like weirdly when I was, I, was my, I hit my top end snatch at 120 today. Mm. Like I was, oh, that's really impressive. And he goes, what have you got on there? And I explained to him, he goes, oh, that, that. He goes, oh like, I'd bench press that. Like, but people have more understanding and, and relative knowledge of a bench press and a deadlift than they do a snatch and a clean and jerk. So I just think it could be a good thing for the sport to, 
be a little bit more encompassing of the other other strength things, and one will one will lift the other. Yeah, that's the other thing. Another thing I like. We've been very fortunate that we get to train with some very good uh, powerlifters, and it's not like us and them. It's very much together, and yeah. one does. We do move, bring each other up well, and support each other. So I think that would be very much the case across the board. So. Mm-hmm. But we, we shall move across from that tangent now because we've gone on a very sort of Billy Connolly yeah, it's story. Got, yeah, it's got yeah, it's got the wheels are about to fall off. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, but no, mate, it's good, man. I, um, overall, things things are starting to look a bit brighter, which is the main yeah. thing. So.